Ladies and gentlemen, sprudes and spruettes, welcome back to Trapped Under Plastic. We are your virtual hobby friends. My name is Scott, and I'm joined by my co-host. John. John. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty glad. good. I made good time coming up here today. That yeah, always did. feels good. Yeah. Now it's stuck on 94. No for, traffic? None. I think the key was like right when I was hitting the spot where I usually just get stuck, like was right when everyone was supposed to be at work. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, pshow, shot yeah. right through there. Today's Friday too. And I've always found driving to work when I worked at Cray, that Friday had less traffic because people typically take off on Friday more mm-hmm. often. So yeah, recording on a Friday, uh, later today, I'm doing a live stream. And since John is here now, he's mm-hmm. going to hang out for the live stream for a little bit and look at my chat and help me manage that and just, you know, be a fun co-host again. Yeah. It's been a while since we did that. Look at you. been a while. God, I love you, Stained. <laughs> um, so I don't actually love Stained for the record. <laughs> uh, I like how you transitioned to one of our pre- preamble ramble topics. Yeah. Thank you. You put your hands up like there's something important you needed to do right there. Well, I was gonna I was gonna talk about the desk right now. Okay. So the desk, if you're watching the video, um, is different. It has a bunch of shit on it. <laughs> yeah, it is covered in stuff. Yeah. So typically, I clean it up. I make a look at. I make it. I make it look at. I make it look <laughs> nice. <laughs> I make a look. <laughs> but now I decided just to keep the stuff that I'm currently working on on the desk gives it a little bit more authenticity, and you can just see what I'm working on. So I'm working on a Renegade Night Titan that I converted, and all the bits and pieces are just. Kind kind of hanging out because if there's ever been a model that you wanted to paint in sub assemblies it is this model it, it appears so yes because it doesn't have any transitions um where the sub assemblies would be a pain in the ass yeah no it's pretty easy yeah it's like everything is a separate part so you can just put all the parts together at the end mm-hmm. um, how does it feel to have been working on this so long that you started before the renegade night titan kit actually existed okay to be fair I did start it probably like two or three months before that came out. So, okay, even that is a little bit long. I would have stopped. Do you know how... <laughs> that, like, hey, let me just very that. unlucky, you know? <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw the trailer. You can actually look at the Discord, like, private chat between me and the person that commissioned this. And I, I, I found that trailer and I sent it to him. And I was like, is this a teaser for a Renegade Knight Titan? And he was like, it appears to be so. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ. Crikey! Yeah. So unfortunate. But uh, the fortunate side of it is that there's going to be a lot of Renegade Night Titans out there, but yours is going to look distinctly different <laughs> True. from those. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. A good thing on, or a bad thing, depending on how good the uh, the conversion looks. But yeah, I'm doing a lot of fun things. Um, uh, I bought a uh, a cricket so that I can cut custom stencils. Uh, I know what a cricket is. A cricket is a vinyl is a CNC vinyl cutter. Okay. Uh, basically, an exacto knife attached to software. Uh, <laughs> attached to software. Yeah, and so you oh. can cut really complex patterns. And so this is a House Atrax Renegade Knight Titan, um, and it has a logo that I don't know if you can get decals for. Um, and even if you could, I like the idea of having the ability to cut whatever stencil I want whenever I want, yeah. um, as long as I can design it. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna design the. I'm gonna do the little House Atrax logo in whatever software that comes with that thing. And then use it for the airbrush. Wow. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It can cut some insanely detailed things. So I'm excited about it. I like that. I yeah. like that. Wow. Well, yeah. So if you're listening to this, um, just imagine in your head that we're sitting at a table filled with little fiddly bits. Little fiddly bits. Because that's what we're doing. Exactly. 
Ah, okay. 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 We, we got more preamble ramble. Well, yeah. We People were so amped that the preamble ramble was longer than the topic discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a lot of things. We we have a good amount of things today as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're done talking about that. Let's. Oh, I want to talk a little bit more. Sorry about the Twitch stream this afternoon. Sure. Yeah. Because you mentioned that the last time we did this, where we tag teamed your Twitch stream was your final official twitch stream yeah before you quit doing that shit yeah dude wow remember that yeah that was like two years ago yeah well that's a long time ago and uh you did it for 24 hours yeah dude and i was there for like eight yeah maybe even longer dude. yeah it was it was but i it was i remember leaving (laughs) you weren't you were physically there i was yeah i was i remember when i left and I only left when I did. I want to stay longer. My wife was pissed at me for some reason. I don't remember why, but she was. <laughs> um, but I felt bad because I'm like, dude, he's got so many more hours through the night to go now. <laughs> That's fine. I, I appreciated that you were there. You were there for lunch and dinner, right? Yeah. And we, we had a buddy who just went and got it for us. Got some TB? Yeah, dude. Yeah. That, was, that was amazing. Yeah, you were you were... Technically, you were there for 10 hours. I think mentally, you were there for probably like five hours. Because <laughs> we played Guild Ball. Oh, that's right. And you were just like, uh, my brain hurts <laughs> after Guild Ball. Yeah, I was trying to teach him Guild Ball, and it was just like, it was like the first time you played it. And it was just like, this is the wrong time, dude. Yeah. And I did not want to lose, even though I didn't play before. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what this game is, but I will not lose. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's like that that meme of the the lady and all the math equation things are, are floating across the screen. <laughs> the lady? Is that Galifianakis? No, not that one. There's another one. Okay. That's a, it's basically the same thing. Okay, okay. But it's, it's slightly more serious. It might be also the one from A Beautiful Mind with uh, Russell Crowe was okay. also one of those. Great movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, yeah, so like all the math was going through my head and trying to calculate every <laughs> possible thing while learning the game to not lose. Yeah. And I'm sure I still lost. I don't think we finished. No, probably was for the best. Yeah, I think we did turn one and we're like, actually, <laughs> I need to go home now. <laughs> yeah. Screw this. Screw yeah. this. That was fun. Um, Good times. That was also mentally taxing for me because I had never actually done a painted on stream before. And the painting's not a big deal, but actually understanding the balance between doing and interacting. I'm not used to that. Now, oh. I'm used to when I'm painting, I'm painting. And when I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. And that was hard because my brain can only do one thing at a time. Right, yeah. Normally, you get to turn off like that socializing socializing need and you just listen to something or you just zone out. Yeah. But yeah, that, and I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't have that figured out either because um, I get almost nothing done on a, on a stream. I would, I don't, I don't know if there is an actual perfection to that. I, think, I don't think you, I think you can get, there's, there's obviously a sliding scale, but most folks are at the point of not being very productive. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that the streams are bad. That just means like, that's just how it goes. Yeah. I had an idea where you would turn on the, the Twitch alert message to read the thing to you. And then obviously that means people troll you. Right? Yes. Which is fine. Like whatever. You're giving me money. Yeah. You're the one losing. <laughs> <laughs> but then I thought of even a greater idea. And I was like, why don't I just have it so it only plays it to me and not my stream? Oh. So then I can just sit here and listen to the message and then I can respond to it without ever having to look up and they don't get to hear it. Oh. Suckers. 
So that would only be for like the super chat thing, right? It wouldn't be every or single donations. comment. Or, or, or resubs on Twitch. They have messages yeah, too. Yeah, okay. Because so, yeah. I was like, if it was just a constant flow of everything in the chat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Your brain would just explode. Yeah, so yeah, the way I do it is if there isn't a, a donation or some, some kind of resub message to respond to, I will either be talking about what I'm doing. And then if I'm not doing that, I'll look up. Uh, and see a question or something and respond to it and that will kind of spark a new conversation as long as i'm constantly or nearly constantly talking it's fine um, yeah i don't it's it's impossible to answer every single question in the, in the chat yeah well i mean once you get to where you have like a fucking thousand viewers or whatever you yeah i've been really there. fortunate um you guys have been turning up uh for yeah. the twitch streams and the and the youtube streams. so yeah. thank you i appreciate that so you're going back and forth yeah. between each platform, which I think is a smart idea. Just testing it out, yeah. Yeah, because you, you get to see apples to apples. Sure, yeah. You know, well, find out. it'd be best to live stream at both at the same time. Um, then you'd get like the real comparison of who prefers YouTube and who prefers Twitch. Oh. Oh, yeah. So then you would just say maybe like every hour you'd say... If you have a preference between YouTube and Twitch, maybe go back and forth, see which one you like with the exact yeah. same show, mm-hmm. and then stick to that one. Yeah. And so then I get to see where you where you prefer, and then you get actual analytics. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think they like you to do that. It's probably against terms and conditions. <laughs> yeah. If you're an affiliate on Twitch, that is breaking your contract. Oh. And Crusher agrees that that is the breaking of the contract. <laughs> so we haven't had the discussion yet of how we're going to approach this this stream this afternoon. And I think there's no better place to do it than right here on the <laughs> podcast and have everyone listen to it. <laughs> I just figure you read the chat and you give me shit and I paint. Yeah. Okay, good. That's what I was thinking too. Okay, yeah, that works. All right, good. And then when... <laughs> Conversation done. Done. And then when people say, why aren't you painting something, John? And I'll say, because it's, I don't want to. Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I do want to, but... You want to paint something? I, I then, no, then I would like spend most of my time here figuring out and prepping something to paint oh, okay. and then not actually paint it. Yeah. So I yeah, you paint anything. like 10% of it. Yeah. And then like, what the hell's the point? Yeah. I'd rather goof with you and interact with chat. So yeah. And you, you won't be doing it for that long. I mean, yeah. like hour. Yeah. Hour. Okay. Yeah. One, two hours. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I could paint like seven miles by then, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what else we got in the preamble? Oh, R- yeah, preamble, amble, ramble. Um, I want to talk about black licorice again. God. <laughs> Australians, man. All right, so the wonderful Sprude Adam reached out to me and said, Hey, <laughs> oi, you want some candy? <laughs> dude, my Australian accent's so bad. Um, oh, no, dude, it's amazing. And he's like, look... Uh, you need to try some real Australian candy because this European candy, pff, it's got nothing. Everyone's just like, our candy is the best candy. Yeah, like we are the renegades from Europe. Yeah. Yeah, like they couldn't handle our candy, so they sent all our ancestors to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's like, I'm going to send you some candy. Okay. So we're going to have some Australian candy. I'm excited. And Australians notoriously like black licorice. He didn't mention it though, right? He didn't mention it, but I feel like he may be trolling us. <laughs> and he's just going to send a big box of assorted black licorice. Oh my gosh, dude. Different sizes, different shapes. I would I would burn the box live on camera. I would I would I would eat one piece. I would eat one 
Yeah, it would be like a, a, <laughs> good, a good mythical morning where we would blindfold ourselves and selves and try three different black licorices yeah. and we'd say they all taste like butts <laughs> <laughs> one out of ten <laughs> all is one out of ten all are the losers yeah that would be the end of the the end of the story i'm excited about this i'm excited about this trend that we're having and people sending us things to eat yeah uh it's gonna eventually end in us getting poisoned yeah so that, that is the concern uh someone just messaged me recently on facebook and they're like hey do you like wine and i was like nope and they're like, okay, well, I'm making mead and I want to give you some. I was like, how, how do you think of that opening? Um, but anyways, it's like, you could you could kill me so easily. Just a little bit of arsenic in there, I'm dead. Yeah. Um, and, but it's like, is someone going to do that? You know, it's like 99 to 1%. It's like, do you take the 1% chance? You know, it's tough. Yeah. I mean... As long as it's a sealed package, I suppose. Right. When we got the candy, there wasn't just like a random like little... plastic wrap brown <laughs> bars, dude. Yeah, like the old... Uh, make sure you check your children's Halloween candy for razor blades. Oh, my God. There's some great memes out there about that, too. It's like, you know, like, oh, man, it was a good thing that I checked my child's candy. There was a live grenade inside the <laughs> Snickers bar. It was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, people. That's fantastic. Yeah, so suspicious. So, you know, suspicious minds on this one we need to have. Um, all right, but if you're from somewhere else in the world and you want to share some candy, um, we're going to get fat. Yeah. That's what we learned. Yeah. That's I got a P.O. box. I ain't going to put it in the description because I don't want everyone's crap. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, if you want to send us some candy, I'm down with that. <sighs> okay. All right. So, we'll, we'll once we receive this, we'll have an official review. Yeah. Because this podcast has turned into everything but the miniature hobby enthusiasts. <laughs> All uh, right. Speaking of miniature hobby enthusiasts, we actually have a preamble ramble topic about something related to miniature. Painting. We do. I thought, I thought, did I miss one? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a 3D printer, Scott. You did? Son of a gun. You got the Mono X? Yeah. Or oh. just, just the Mono? Mono X. Okay. It's a giant. It's it, massive. Like the FDM resin. A resin printer. Okay. It's the Anycubic Photon Mono X, which isn't out yet, but you can pre-order it. Okay. Um, and when it when they delivered it, FedEx delivered it. First of all, the lady from China tells me whose name is Susan in her emails, right? Grace. Oh, you got right. It's like your name's not fucking Grace. <laughs> no, it's not Grace. But I'm fine with Chinese names, man. Just tell me what your actual name is. Yeah, that's I'm, that's perfectly fine. And she she speaks great English. You know. I mean, not great, but she speaks English <laughs> yeah. and I can understand most of what she says. Yeah. And she's like, uh, okay, here, you know, the shipping order is out and I got the thing from FedEx on a Thursday, a Thursday. It arrived at my door the next Tuesday. Wow. From China to my door. Dude, FedEx is nuts. And so is UPS. Okay. Yeah. I don't get it. Cause something very similar happened to me recently where Andy sent me, uh, a thing for a Kickstarter from England, and it showed up so fast, and I was like, "I gotta learn how. To, I gotta learn the ways of FedEx, dude." Yeah, they got their they got their shit together. Now, I'm crazy. sure it wasn't cheap. I'm sure it was. Oh no, yeah. But if you're a big company that sends 3D printers around the world, they probably have some kind of a discount. Yeah, they got some kind of package deal going. Mm-hmm. So I took the thing out of the box, and the box is like the size of a mini fridge. <laughs> I was like, dear God, no way, like 80 pounds. I'm like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? I took it out of the box. I haven't put it together because I'm scared to put it together. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, I imagine there isn't much to put together other than the uh, build plate needs to be leveled inside of the, the resin vat. Yeah, there's only like four major parts 
to it. So I yeah. don't feel like it's, I'm going to be completely completely host. Hey, Hang Dong just sent me a text. Hang Dong. What's up, Ryan O'Brien? Which is probably the greatest name in all of history. Yeah, Ryan O'Brien. Ryan O'Brien's a great guy. It sounds like he should be in an NBC comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he probably could, honestly. Yeah, he, he, he can do everything. Yeah, he's, he's such a great character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was like, I'm not going to put it together yet because they didn't send me the resin. I was like, oh, you bitches didn't send me a resin? They didn't? No. I'm like, I'm like Grace, come on, Grace. Grace? And then I got an auto reply that Grace is on vacation for a week. Chinese New Year, man. Yeah. Um, but then Grace, the lovely lady that she is, emails me back while I'm on vacation. And she's like, hey, I'm on vacation, but I'll check. I'll, she's like, that's not normal. No, she's, that's customer service. That's amazing. Yeah. So she was like, I'm on vacation. It should have come, it, it should be sent as well in a separate package. Um, and I'll check on it when I get back from vacation. And sure enough, the next day, it shows up in my mailbox in a separate package. I'm like, I never got the tracking notification for that. I did for the resin printer. So I was like, okay, cool. And I'm like, Grace, don't worry about it. When you get back and see this, you're the bestest. You said that? Yeah. I said, said, you're the bestest. Uh, And then she responded, when is the video coming out? (laughs) (laughs) You stupid American. Yeah. It's a Chinese people always down to business. Yeah. Yeah. They they ain't fucking around. When is the video? And I'm like, Grace, I don't even have the thing put together yet. (laughs) Grace, I'm trying to be nice here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm going to get anything to work. And then I talked to Danny from Miami. Danny. Danny. uh, Just name dropping all kinds of people right now. I fucking love it, dude. Yeah. Danny, the the wonderful 3D printing DM. Dude, check him out. Link to the description. He's got an awesome channel. He's got an awesome personality. He's a funny, funny guy. Yeah, he's great. He's he's my 3D printing go-to guy. So I'm like, Danny, I, feel I got like he's this. every YouTuber's 3D yeah, yeah. go-to guy. Well, that's what I learned. Yeah. I learned from from Emil and from Scott yeah. and from Goobs and from Jeremy oh, and he's from the, Trent. Yeah. I'm just going to keep name dropping. Yeah, he's the guy. And everybody, and I noticed and I noticed that everyone goes to him. So I'm like, Danny, everyone goes to you. So I'm going to ask you questions. <laughs> Danny, what do I print? And he's like, oh, well, I got a Kickstarter. And, Boom. And uh, you could print some of my stuff. I'm like, hey, Danny, send me them STL files for free, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> He hasn't done it yet. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got to figure out what am I going to print? How am I going to screw it up? I got a buddy um, that I play D&D with that he's a, he's an IT guy and he owns. Um, you said, I love. Why does that matter? Because he understands technology. Such an old man thing to yes. say. It's like, you're an IT. Do everything related to tech for me. It's yes. like, okay, okay. Well, he also has, uh, he has a, he and another buddy have a YouTube channel where they review tech. They do like a live stream review of tech every yeah. other week or something. Cool. So he knows his stuff. He has an FDM, he's got two FDM printers and he's got a resin printer. Right. And so I'm like, you're going to come over to my house. I'm going to feed you Taco Bell and you're going to help me put this thing together and do the test prints. And and he has like a, an emporium on one of his servers. He has like eight different servers at his house. Okay. He also has the server that my my new website. I got a new website. Oh, you do? I got a website, ninjon.net. You're running a server on a buddy's... Sorry, you're running a website on a buddy's server? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's WordPress so I can make up whatever I want. For now, it's just a redirect. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a redirect to my new Teespring account where I sell merch. Hey! <laughs> Which... Uh, I haven't told anybody yet, so yeah, yeah, you haven't told me. I haven't told you. No, I knew I it was you. kind of in the works, but I know no details. It's one of those things where it's like every every little extra like fiddly bit thing that you want to do in early that I want to do or that I have on my list of things to do and related to having a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Like 
I can't, I try to struggle to find the time to get them all done. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm just trying to figure out how to get a video out and do this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, Oh, I want to have cool shirts and I want to do all these other things. But so I, I finally sat down and spent, it took me like 30 minutes to get a Teespring account. Up it's and very easy. And do yeah. that. And then that's why Ryan Hangdong is uh, texting me back. Cause I had more ideas for stuff for merch. Awesome. So I'm hoping he's sending me some sweet ass PNG files. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, that's my foray into 3d printing. Yeah. So you're going to have someone who's knowledgeable come and do everything for you and you're not going to really struggle. That is the story of my life. Yeah. God damn it. It's not about, See, I was in here grinding away, fucking up constantly. <laughs> that video was so stressful to make. Cause I was like, I need to make this video and I can't get something to fucking print. Not entirely true. I got things to print, but yeah, I had, I had a struggle. I can imagine. I fully expect. No, I'm sure something will screw up along the way. Something will screw up. <laughs> and then I'll just like, hey, could you just quick print this on your 3D printer instead, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the difference because mine is broken. That'd be interesting, though. There's there's a comparison. Like, given, the, given a similar printer and two different people like compare the end results and it's like this is what happens when you fine-tune your thing and and you know have an understanding about support placement and and settings for the resin exposure times and this what happens when you're a beginner and here's the difference same model um an idea who knows maybe yeah. it could be maybe it could be a, a small part of your video yeah in case you're curious is, is how much better worse or otherwise it is than the other one and what he's done to his and mine's factory settings yeah I mean, it'd probably be the best comparison if they were the same printer. Yeah. Um, but whatever. Yeah, that's a good... Uh, Grace, I need you to send me Grace. another printer. <laughs> <laughs> all that, right. That's all the preamble ramble we had for today. Yeah, yeah, that was a good preamble ramble. Yeah. Some stuff was miniature painting related, which is not always the case. No, usually it's But not. welcomed. <laughs> it's not required, but it's welcomed. Uh, we, talk, we talk about Baja Blast. No, John is drinking the ancestral cousin of Baja Blast right now in energy drink form. It's called Ultra Fiesta. Ult, what a what a name. Right. Like, we want to make it super clear that this is a Baja Blast ripoff. <laughs> we'll use the exact same color turquoise <laughs> and call it a name that you will immediately associate with Mexico. <laughs> but this is sugar free. And so I can have it. See, sugar-free doesn't mean anything to me in a drink like that because it just has like aspartame or like something in it that's a sweetener, right? Yeah, it's still sweet. Yeah. It just doesn't have sugars. I'm just concerned about the long-term health effects of things like that. Jesus Christ. Because as I drink my fucking soda, yeah, yeah. I'm not concerned. <laughs> we know that that's not good. We think that this is probably not good, but just not. Right. No, but see, that, that's a classic defense mechanism of people who are conservative. It's like, uh, I don't want to switch to that. I don't know what it's going to do to me. I know what this is doing to me. It's killing me slowly. <laughs> that might kill me a little bit faster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I was going to say something. And you just, your great comment just completely let it slip from my brain. That's what I do in my comments. Oh, yeah. They just drain your brain. Uh, well, <laughs> we know. Uh, that should be a name of something. Drain. drain brain, brain. brain drain. <laughs> brain drain. Okay. Yeah. that's. We'll have that flash across the screen every time we stare and we, we lose our track. Uh, <laughs> brain drain brain drain <laughs> um oh the one thing we that the scientists do know about this 
this stuff. The, the scientists. The scientists. It's like they're a type of people. It's just, it's just a group. Yeah. It's just outside the door. It's just a, it says a sign that says the scientists. <laughs> it's its own country. It's like a B movie scene from a, like a yeah, exactly. sci-fi film. Yeah. You got the fake code scrolling around. <laughs> yeah. The scientists. <laughs> it's like Hacker Man. Um, so they say that in terms of your brain chemistry how your brain perceives artificial sweeteners is it it perceives them the same way it perceives sugar and and your brain chemistry changes in the same way um and i don't know all the details because i'm not one of the scientists right but what it does is it tells your body that sugar is coming yeah yep and then when sugar doesn't come it wants more Uh because it's it's the receptors are open but nothing is entering so it's kind of a, it's an endless loop of always needing neat sweet things. Mm. So, but when your brain gets the sugar too, it says, whoo, sugar's coming, sugar's coming. And then it keeps wanting more too. So, right. Yeah. Anyway, that was interesting. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> Enough chat of the scientists and Hacker Man, <laughs> the world's shittiest superhero. Uh, let's talk about what we painted. Oh, Scott didn't get the Hacker Man reference. Yes. No, I didn't. Is that an old movie? It's not. Hacker Man. It's it's one of the greatest, um, one of the greatest B movie, f- fakey fake films of all time. I just said, was it a movie reference? And you said no. And then you went it's to- not a real movie. It's like a Netflix thirty minute long spoof movie. Is it recent? Yes. Okay. So it's not like from the eighties. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. It's in like the last 10 years, but it looks like it's from the eighties. Okay. Okay. Well, well, we'll have the, 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 the wonderful Spruits and Spruettes all talk about it in the comments below. I'm fine Scott with that. doesn't know. All right. Let's move on to what we painted. Well, what I painted is pretty obvious. Well, no, I did a few hobby things that aren't out here. Okay. So yeah, I, uh, I assembled, I didn't assemble. Most of the conversion was done. There were some small things that I did. For instance, this chain fist, I added some skulls to it. I like the drapery angle of the chain. It oh, looks yeah. very natural. Very drapery. Um, did you actually just drape it and then super glue it as it was draping? Yes. Yes. Um, I used brass shim stock to make a little banner here. And for the loin cloth. Yeah. Well, they all have like banners hanging between their legs. Why? Um, I don't know. In but in their orientation, if I can show you really quickly with this image. Okay. There the banner is attached, at least on the Chaos Renegade Knights, to their legs at like their knee point. Can you imagine <laughs> walking with something connecting your kneecaps? Especially in a high stress battle situation, yeah. that seems like a terrible idea. So I didn't get that, and so I put it where people normally put things on their lower half, around their waist. Okay. And I've never done this before, but I actually disconnected the chain, and I pinched it around a hole. So it's not actually it is glued there, but it's also connected with like a with like a physical ring as well. <laughs> so extra points for legitness. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I see those banners hanging from some unknown point between their legs, they just look like truck nuts for Imperial oh, God, Knights. God, I hate those things. Yeah, but no, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> just big old metallic balls, dude. <laughs> dude. That's what you should have fucking... You should you should sculpt with green stuff some, some truck nuts and put them behind this little 
Oh, just a little cloud in there, dude. Yeah. Little veiny. Little veiny truck nuts are underneath there, and it's just like a little Easter egg. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And then, then you know who the pervs are in your gaming group because they're like, why the fuck are you looking up my night's skirt, you dirt? Yeah, you got to really get down there to see that. Yeah. Weirdos. Yeah. Oh, you got a little, you got a little candy for, for five <laughs> for doing that search. <laughs> little truck nuts, peekaroo. <laughs> um, the last thing I did before I started painting was the magnets that I had put in here were pretty wussy mm-hmm. uh they were like a third of the size of this and so the the arms weren't attached very nicely and so i put them in there really well unfortunately they were like embedded in epoxy sculpt and so i had oh to do boy. some some jank so i like drilled holes around the magnet and then with needle nose pliers ripped it out and then i refilled it with milliput so it was flat again and then with a actual drill and a forstner bit i drilled a hole the size of the magnet um but i'm really glad i did that because these hold so much better um and they just you know you don't, don't want to like i didn't want him to be like moving his knight around and have the fucking arms fall off yeah that just seems like terrible so yeah it's like, just a bad user experience right yeah so these these are like on there like really good um, now do those like shoulder joints those aren't going to be magnetized, right? Those are going to no. just snippy snip buried in there. Yeah, so it's like it's almost like Lego. They twist on, and then they can articulate forward and backward, and they can move uh, in and out. No one on camera can see this happening right now. There it is. So it like rotates and kind of pumps a little bit. So then you toss on a little army arm. Look at that. And it can. It's like a freaking action figure, dude. Yeah. Um, Come on. So How yeah. do you not want to spend one hundred and seventy dollars on that? Oh, it's really easy. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to spend one hundred seventy dollars. I was, I mean, it was really easy to not want to, but oh. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I did. I also assembled some babes for my sister of battle kill team. Oh, did I explain that a video idea last podcast? Yes. Yeah. I so, so yeah, Operation Convert normies into miniature war gamers. Yeah, yeah. I had another hobby night. They came over and we started to put together our. Uh, our kill teams so they did was it their homework to to like buy their models for their kill team and then yes. bring them yes oh so they get homework every time uh, kind of yeah one guy wasn't able to so i ended, ended up picking them up for him and he uh paid me back but dude, this this guy sounds like his fucking low-hanging fruit <laughs> better keep an eye on him cut him dude <laughs> yeah I, and at first i was like make a list and, and in the in the first day we discussed how to make a list what tools make it easier to make a list but then I made my own kill team list and I was like, Jesus, there is a lot to think about. Uh, and so I went ahead and just made the, made all their lists for them. And they, I think, I don't think that's a, I think that's an experience that you can get into later. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to set too many hurdles from the very get go. Yeah. That are just kind of like stunt people's excitement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that on ramp needs to be smooth. Yeah. You know hey, if saying? you have decision paralysis, man, making a list is going to, especially with this particular guy who was playing space Marines and kill team, they have so many options. Um, so I was just like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do it. So I got that done. Did you get, did you like, when you built their list, did you give them a little bit of like variety so they could like see like, Oh, here's what, this kind of unit would be like and here's what this one could be like so then as they're playing they're like i really like how this one goes i would like maybe two or three of those yeah and this one sucks ball sack <laughs> she is out immediately yeah dude i uh the marine player has uh like intercessors mostly uh two of them have auxiliary grenade launchers he has one reaver that i made like a scout 
So I gave him a combat knife so he can like zip around and just like shank people. And then I gave him one eliminator, which is uh, I am the eliminator, dude. Uh, I got a story about that too. Uh, but that's the sniper guy. So he has a cool oh. variety of weapons. Uh, then one guy, I gave him the Tau team that was in the Kill Team starter box, sure. which has a variety of the drones, various kinds of breachers, and things like that. Beep, boop, boop, beep. Yeah, exactly. Just I'm just that. doing the sound effects so Amber this doesn't fantastic. have to put them in post. Oh, yeah, yeah, because she does that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last guy uh, was playing Harlequins, and you can only play one character in Harlequins, which is the player unit. The it's, called a, it's called a player. <laughs> I'm a player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, that's freaking sweet. Yeah, but they, they've got a variety of different like like sculpts and poses, I think, and whatever. So And weapons. And weapons. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sweet. Yeah. And so, so and you're doing the SOBs. I'm doing the SOBs, baby. Okay. Did you take any of those sweet ass monk chicks with the giant chain swords? Oh, the sister of Pentius? Yeah. No, because I want those so bad. They're awesome. Um and they they're actually awesome in Kill Team, but there's a People think it's an error in the book. It says you can only take one of them, um, which makes no sense because there's a rule later in the book that references having multiple Sister Apentias. <laughs> and, and if I could take two or three, and I could use that special rule, which I believe is some kind of thing. I can't remember what it's called. Um, they'd be fucking badass. Um, but I can't, so I instead took either one or two Arcoflagellants, which are the people with the whippy arms. Oh, my God. That look like, wild. Oh, yeah. Which look like they're so close to being really cool looking models, but instead are so ugly. I'm on the fence. They look okay. They don't look amazing. Yeah. I just feel like there's so much like dynamic, cool ass poses in some of the models at GW these days. Like and I'm thinking of the new, um, the new War Cry, not a War Cry, but sh- what's the other? Shadespire? Shadespire? Underworlds. Shadespire Underworlds. <laughs> Daughter's a cane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chick is like leaping off a rock and she's got a big old whippy chain thing and it's like doing a full arc behind her back and she's like mid-leap Spider-Man style about to like like razor whip someone like, yeah. a, like a little bitch like, <laughs> and I'm like that looks awesome and then you got fucking limp dick arm flagellant people that are just like like the guy that gets filled up with air like the yeah. <laughs> what is that thing called yeah like the car dealership yeah. floaty man Michelin man or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> yeah um, yeah, and so I'm just like god they had a lot of opportunity but I guess you could probably kit bash one of those to like look super cool but you're not gonna did you buy any sister repentions then i didn't um i bought uh a heavy squad i figure what they're called but it's like the squad has a bunch of heavy weapons in it and a normal battle sister squad i bought the heavy squad just because of the leader chick with the power mall in the book she Mm -hmm. looks so freaking awesome um but yeah so i assembled my superior the leader of the squad i assembled pius vorn who's a character from blackstone fortress she's the chick with a flamethrower it was oh. bald. So you can use her in Kill Team as a sister of battle. And I was like, sure, that's just more variety. Yeah, it's, just, it's unique-ish. Yeah, she's, she's okay. She's a good uh, in terms of stats. And then I assembled okay. uh, one battle sister <laughs> with a Simulacrum Imperialis, oh. which is the banner. Oh. <laughs> it's a box with a relic in it on a staff it's just like this seems like a really stupid way to carry this thing it's like <laughs> rattling around up there uh and then i assembled the heavy flamer beware of my rock in a box <laughs> yeah exactly repent <laughs> dude it is hard to assemble models nowadays yeah they're like they come in so many pieces and like uh while they do fit together nicely it just seems like gone are the days of this model is legs torso arm arm head 
Yeah. That's all, that's all it ever was. But you know, now it's different. So I was like watching my newbies assemble things and they're, you know, none of us finished, none of us finished our squad assembling it. Uh, We were there for like three hours. We were chatting and stuff, but like, you don't have fun. Yeah. The towel, the towel are the closest to that, but the towel also have shoulder pads and tennis to put on their heads and all these other little fiddly bits. They got a little greebles. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, you're right. There's no longer like, this is just the torso. You know, now it's like, oh, this is, it's got the left pack and it like pulls back around the shoulder and exactly it goes back around to the right butt cheek. And yeah. that part is attached to the nipple yeah, <laughs> and the belly button. It's, it's like, oh my God. And there's, there's science behind why they're that way. Right. Sure. Yeah. You can tell yourself that. Yeah. You know, it, it in how it's they, not random. It's not random. Yeah. And, and how they're able to have more dynamic poses is really probably somewhat tied to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the, the thing with that is you got to watch the instructions more closely because yeah. you can actually fit this part and that part together and it's right, but you were actually supposed to fit part A and part D first. Otherwise, the head won't go in because there's a slot underneath. And if yeah. you put the, tor- the torsos together, you can't get the head in. Yeah. Even though it looked right. Like, and that's, that's an easy example, but there's some that aren't so obvious that I have... Like my OCR bone reapers, I'd like rip things apart. Yeah. With or you have to cut that peg part off. It's under it and then just glue it in like a normal thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky. Yeah. So that's what I did. Night Titan conversion, some painting and some sisters of battle. Sisters of battle. Okay. We're going to talk about SOBs a little bit later too. Ooh, baby. I love <laughs> the sisters. <laughs> what did I paint? Oh yeah. Okay, so I just finished. Um, I just finished him last night. I finished a uh, what I ca- I'm calling a miniature memorial, and hopefully by the time this episode is out, that video will be out. It's not Ooh. finished as of the recording of this, but just like last episode, I'm, I'm banking on the fact that I'm putting it in the universe, and that video will be done before this. Um, so I actually did a I painted a miniature of my dog Remus. It's very nice. Yeah, and so that was fun um it was uh was it fun it it was in not in not like my typical kind of miniature painting way it was it was the first time i've experienced a real kind of a true like like therapy and just pure enjoyment and gratefulness in painting something so it was it was a different painting experience for me entirely but i really enjoyed it and really allowed me to think about like more things besides just painting while I was painting. So I've got a fun video idea for that. Um, and, and hopefully it will resonate with folks as well. I think he turned out pretty well. It did. Um, it's tough because he, he was an entirely gray dog. Right. And so how do you paint just gray? Yeah. You know? Um, and so in today, when we talk about in the, after party we're going to talk about something new we tried i tried something new on this model and i was really happy with how it turned out i'm excited so so we're going to talk about that but it was fun and um i will say that something that i did on this model is it's it's from the night models harry potter kit yeah it's hagrid's dog hagrid's dog fang because remus was, was a neapolitan mastiff which so is fang from harry potter um, it's just just a big dog, right? So if Hagrid's going to have a dog, Hagrid is a half giant. They got he's got to have the biggest dog possible 
to put them on on the movie right Mm because you can't like this was back before they could really do like cgi animals very well so it's like it's got to be a real dog yeah so like let's get a 200 pound dog and so that's what fang is but fang has natural ears which means they're kind of floppy Mm -hmm. um and remus had docked ears which means they're like little triangles that (laughs) that just sit straight up on his head (laughs) um and before you get mad about this and maybe you will anyway and that's fine the reason why that it is a breed standard to do that to this breed's ears is because um, this breed has got a ton of wrinkles and folds all over their body, right? They just have a ton, a ton of extra skin. Yeah. And so if those dog's ears are kept natural, so they flop down, there's tons of wrinkles and folds up underneath the ear and they get ear infections like mad. Because moisture and humidity and everything gets trapped into there, in the folds, in and around the ear. And it's notorious for them to having constant ear infections, which can become serious and stuff like that. So that's why a lot of them, they dock them. So they just stick stick up kind of like, um, what is it, Doberman Pinscher ears. Yeah. But they're not super high. Right, they're small. Yep. So anyway, I had to cut off the miniature's ears. Because they had the floppy ears. And, and the thing's about the size of a nickel. <laughs> this mini. <laughs> the whole model is. The whole model. And I had to cut off its ears and green stuff. Tiny triangle ears. <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> yeah, it looks. I was surprised. I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I'm like, at first I'm sitting and I'm cleaning the model. And I'm like, maybe I'll just, I'm like, that seems really hard. Maybe I'll just keep its ears like the model is here but then i'm like no i can't do that like it wouldn't be him yeah right and so i had to drill a little tiny little hole into where your you know your ear hole because <laughs> dogs still have those too right so yeah. i had to like drill with a little pin a pin vice thing into the skull on both sides because i had to have some indentation and if yeah. i sculpt something it still needs to go look like it's going in the skull right so that helped me get us uh like give me a guide for yeah. where to put the green stuff around it so it was even on both sides nice so yeah and and he didn't take me too long to paint i used some oil paints on him as well Ooh. and that was that worked out pretty well i was pretty happy with that and uh, i did something new well i'll share i have like 40 things new on this so i'm going to give another freebie and to catch the rest of them you got to join the after party um <laughs> So when I did my Paint Your Army in a Weekend video, one of the bits of feedback that I got was when I did the streaking grime step, I used Q-tips to clean it all up. Mm-hmm. And Q-tips leave the little stray fibers, fibers and hairs yeah. all over your models. Yeah. And so someone's like, you know you can buy the tiny little makeup brush applicator things in bulk on Amazon. So they're like, they look like a Q-tip but they're more shaped like a paddle on either side. Okay. So like your wife's like, uh, I don't know if she wears eyeshadow or whatever, but it's the little thing that they use to get the eyeshadow out of the little compact and they put it on their face. Yeah. But I bought a box of like 500 of those for like $8. <laughs> and it works the same way because it's a sponge, but yeah. it doesn't have the fibers. And I use that on this to take off the oils. Oh my God, dude, it's so much better. Oh. There's not fibers everywhere. That's awesome. It's Yeah, it's perfect. It actually absorbs. I'm buy them. some after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll put the affiliate link in there. Um, sure. Um, I'm just kidding. I'll make you use my affiliate link though. That's fine. <laughs> it's your, you discovered it. I want those seven cents. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was that was what I painted. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, today we are going to discuss um, large models. 
Yeah. And like tips for painting large models. But I also want to just discuss large models in general. Let's just talk about large Marge right here. Large Marge. So it's like, uh, oh, by the way, I wanted to say, do you know that humans could get their ears pinned? Humans can get their ears pinned like dogs get their ears pinned. Pinned back? Yeah. Did you know that? If you have like ears that stick out. Yeah, yeah. I had a kid when I was in elementary school that had ear surgery. Well, because his ear stuck out too much. And I th- it was something like that like he had to do. He had to do. Well, but I remember because every time we would be playing like football at recess, almost every day he'd quit crying because he hurt his ear because he had surgery or something. And then it like, you know, you roll on the ground or someone tackles you and it like rips your ear a little bit. Yeah, Ooh, it must hurt like hell. But anyway, yeah, okay. Painting your ears. I didn't know. Kind of weird. You know, is this like a, a aesthetic thing? It's yes. not a surgical. It, yeah. Yeah. Surgical I was, modi- I was watching, modification. You know, I was watching Love Island classic tv show from england and yeah one of the guys had got his ear ears pinned and i was like where did you shame. pin it to do you, i don't know do you I, what i imagine is someone gets a really tight ass rubber band and just like rubber bands their ears to their the, <laughs> yeah you know, let's put it around like a headband and it's like okay just keep it on for three months so okay and then like after that they just get pinned to, to your head i don't fucking know how it works okay i thought i thought step one was rubber band around the head step two is take a stapler and go <laughs> <laughs> a little super glue thin in there in yeah. there and then you take the rubber band off and they're stuck <laughs> <laughs> all right anyways large models uh it's definitely when i say large models i don't necessarily mean like physically you, large models you keep talking all right i'm gonna keep talking john's gonna go take a poopy no all right um i don't necessarily mean like models that are in a 28 millimeter scale that are physically large for instance like this renegade night titan i mean like a large scale model which is like a 75 or a 90 millimeter scale figure and there is a difference um and the difference is that the the universe that model is supposed to exist inside of um Mm -hmm. So there, there, are, there are similarities between painting like a Renegade Night Titan and a 90 millimeter model. And I'm going to talk about those today and I'm sure John will as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when, I, when I'm talking about it, I mostly mean like a, a large scale 75 millimeter model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one bone, one gripe that I have uh, is that whenever like, you know, I used to, I used to browse the mini painting subreddit a lot and a People, you know, you'd paint something and post it up and a question people always asked was, oh, what scale is this? And I have a tendency to read into things. And so when I read that comment, what I was reading into it was, oh, this person thinks that this paint job is lesser than because it's a larger scale. Sure. It's like, oh, if they see an impressive result and they don't say anything about the result, but they just ask what scale it is. It's like, okay, you're about to, you're about to hedge right now. And I just want to go out and say there, a larger model is not easier to paint. It is harder to paint. Mm-hmm. Okay? Here's a couple of reasons why. It's fucking bigger, <laughs> so there's more to paint. There's uh, more places to screw up. <laughs> yeah. It just takes longer because there's a larger surface area to paint, period. Okay, yeah. number one. Number two, because those surface areas are larger, you need to really work blends a lot more. Mm-hmm. And this is obvious to figure out. Like, if you're blending a tiny little flame on a GW figure. It's very easy to do because like when you, when you're an inch away from it, which is like, is really close to your fucking face. It looks fine. Um, and so for a larger model, your mistakes are way more evident because the surface area is way larger. So you need to really, if you want something to look blended, you got to really, uh, slave over those parts. Um, making it not easy, uh, at all. 
And then the last reason is because things are larger. There's anatomy you have to deal with that you wouldn't normally have to deal with. Yeah. Um, certain muscles of the face, uh, certain parts of the eye, for instance, like a uh, painting the red around the eye of like the, the veins and then doing the iris and the pupil and the eye glint. Like, you know, there's a lot of things you have to do when stuff gets larger. So if you think because of miles, it's easier to paint, check yourself. That <laughs> it ain't. I want to piggyback on that a little bit. Piggyback me, bro. Piggyback. Bend over. I got to jump on your shoulders. All right. Yeah. You didn't have to say that. Okay. Okay. Um, Bend over. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> well, yeah, dude, that's the, it's a proper piggyback etiquette. Sure, I suppose. You kind of hunch a little bit and I hoppy hop on the shoulders. All right. <laughs> so there's an issue of, oh, when you work at a larger scale um, in, to talk about how much, how it increases the difficulty factor is, well, you can say it's easier because you just simply have a bigger area to work with and it's not just a tiny little space. But then when you have a bigger area, the expectation or the bar raises Absolutely. exponentially on what is considered good or what is considered high level painting. And I'll, I'll, I'll take the face, a human face as an example. When you're working with a space marine face, you can have an award-winning paint job on that space marine with a face that basically includes about three colors okay it's it would be white as a highlight with the with the gradient to your mid-tone um and and some shadows with that would include like some some shadows on the cheeks and stuff like that right i mean just the skin tone like what about the teeth and like the tongue and the eye i'm just talking about the the hair just talking about the skin okay okay. the skin itself sure okay and, and you can work that with basically three colors, probably a fourth one, maybe just a, a, a little bit of a blue for shadows. Or like or a whatever. red for his cheeks or, sure. or her cheeks. Just, just slight. Yeah. Now turn that into a 72 mil face. That's not going to cut it because yeah. you've got a bigger surface. Therefore, you have a, a bigger expectation of making it more realistic to human skin. And human skin has so many hues to it and variations and imperfections and all this <sighs> to make that look good, yeah. smooth, and with the wide breadth of colors involved. Bro, it's I'm not stressing out. It's, it's ridiculous. It's so much more difficult. Now, I don't say that to say don't paint big models. No, absolutely not. You know, because there's a lot of really interesting things that from the big models that I've painted that I've learned and then have translated to all varieties of scales. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great thing to mention. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes because you've got so much real estate you've got to work with, you've got to spend more time practicing a certain technique that you use to do the skin all over this whole body. Mm-hmm. So instead of just doing it in one little sister repentia or even 10 of them, I had to do, you know, like, six cubic feet of skin (laughs) on this one creature caster demon and repeating the steps over each muscle shape and each fold and each section and so i'm doing the reps so many more times that transfers you know no matter what scale now the size of my brush maybe wouldn't transfer or the the size of my stroke of my brush wouldn't be the same yeah but the actual technique whatever the scale is does still translate yeah and some techniques lend themselves to larger areas on your model uh for instance i'm a big fan of when i'm using feathering 
to be focusing on a very small area with a very intense paint in my brush. So like if I want to add, I do this on the face a ton. If I want to add a highlight to, let's say, uh, an eyelid and then like the area immediately below the eyelid, like the upper, upper, upper cheek, mm-hmm. um, I will take a, a, a paint and put literal white or near white um, in the brush and, and, and place it there clean the brush and then feather it out. So I have this very, very small localized highlight. Um, and I use pure white because when it dries, it's often not pure white. Sure. Um, and so those kinds of techniques, I think lend themselves to smaller scales. I would use feathering a lot more often on a, on a smaller model. And for larger scale models, I would do it uh, selectively when I wanted to add those very small, bright localized highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when I'm painting a face, of a space marine i'm never wet blending i just Mm. feel like i would rather lay a base coat down and then layer up slowly Mm -hmm. um as opposed to with like the duchess i was doing uh, wet blending because the face is so much larger it's more area to work and things like that so as a as a form of comparison the techniques you use on larger models may adjust slightly like for instance how much you wet blend and how much you glaze and how much you feather it might it might like a it might like kind of shift a little bit just because certain techniques lend themselves more to those that larger model that's that's a really good point that's a really good point i think that um why i've um included a lot more wet blending into my everyday painting style is because there was a point where i was painting big models yeah dragons demons yeah a lot and i I won't say I had to wet blend there, but like wet blending was such a useful skill. Yeah, it was natural, right? Yeah, and when you have a bigger workspace, you know, it's so much easier to achieve that, to get those immediate results, especially when the model's so big, there's only so many hours that you can commit to something. And even each each of my creature caster models, I put over 100 hours in. And that's still with trying to go with a technique that saves you time with getting blending results in mm-hmm. wet blending. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes I'd even work my highlights in wet blending as well. So it was all wet blended base coat. And then it was a wet blended, um, highlight stages. And then it was feathering to get all the the shadows and then it was filtering. And and so there's multiple steps over each section of dragon scales or whatever, but starting with that wet blend, it allows you to get quicker, more recognizable results on a big model. And then when the, I spent more time doing that by kind of necessity, um, because I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, about airbrushing in regards to big models. I want to talk too. about that too. Yeah. Okay. But if I wanted a, a strong base coat, I had to spend more time doing wet blending or that, that was a technique that felt natural to me and the one that I wanted to use. It's not yeah. the only way you could do it. Um, that means I had a lot of I had a lot of reps for it, and then when I went to a smaller model, I'm just like, well, I'm just I'm feeling comfortable using that technique more and more. I'm going to try it on a smaller model, and it still worked. It's it's more difficult the smaller the section. I, I don't think I would do it with the Space Marine face, <laughs> but the Space Marine armor, I sure as hell would. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, in the vein of wet blending, there are a few different ways to accomplish wet blending. And I want to shout out a technique that I learned while watching a painting Buddha video where the painter was Fernando Ruiz of Fernando Ruiz, the brand. Um, he was painting that classic dwarf model that has like a sword and he's like, has a cape and 
A lot of people have painted it. Oh, the dwarf with the sword in the cape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The bald one. Oh, the bald dwarf. He's got a beard. Oh, he's got a beard. Yeah, he's a dwarf. He's a dwarf. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, we all know the one. <laughs> um, obviously, a a thing we constantly struggle with as miniature painters is working time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he painted the cloak of that model, which a cloak on a larger scale miniature is kind of a is a large area to tackle. Um, he took one of these brushes that I'm holding right now, and this is a. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, what this is, is a, I think it's a watercolor brush, but essentially the handle of the brush is hollow and I can unscrew the ferrule to, to reveal a cavity that I can fill up with liquid. And then what happens is that liquid then comes down and deposits out of the, the bristles. Sure. And so what he does is he fills this thing up with 50-50 retarder. 50-50. 50-5. He uh, fills it up with 50-50 retarder and water. Obviously, the, the ratio depends on what particular retarder you're using because some are thick and some are not thick. Yeah. And then he first paints that mixture onto the surface that he is painting. On a thin, on a thin coat, you don't want it like pooling anywhere. Right. And then on top of that, he paints his wet blend. And in that video series, um, he had like it was almost like oil paint. It was creamy, and he had this long working time. Uh, and you can get these really nice blends. Um, so there are multiple ways to wet blend. That is one of them. Adding something to the surface first, and then blending on top of it. And for larger scale stuff, it can be helpful. I've done it before. It works. That makes sense. I have not seen. I've heard of that, but I have not actually seen a video or an explanation of someone doing the the lay down first, where you lay down the lay down. Yeah, he's got. It's a, like the low down, but kind of different. It just sounds like a John Mayer song. <laughs> the lay down. Yeah, lay the lay down. Um, where they lay they lay down a, uh, something, and I it makes sense that it's a retarder. So then it it, it keeps that surface of the model wet while yeah. you're working, and and it's like a it's a barrier. Ooh, I hit the microphone. A barrier between the model and the paint because that's where it dries yeah. first, and so you're allowing that to stop. That's that's a great thing for cloaks. Cloaks are a bitch to blend. They're cloaks. huge. They're yeah. so big that. Sometimes you can't hit the entire cloak in, in a brush stroke. No. Right? So if like if your hand is pivoting from a point where you're resting your wrist, you have about inch and a half mm-hmm. of motion and a cloak is like three inches long. So like you if you wanted to blend down one recess like of a curl of a rope, you can't do it. You actually gotta <laughs> either not have your wrist locked in so you can just kind of free you know, freeform it, or you gotta go scoot down and then do it again it, yeah it's yeah like you gotta do the wrist scoot <laughs> the wrist scoot yeah dude when miles get bigger the logistics change yeah um it's interesting yeah and yeah and to get a smooth a smooth stroke through <laughs> all of that even on small models stroke a cloak is a, a cloak is oftentimes one of the most difficult things because yeah it is a it is a single surface without any hard lines mm-hmm. and yet it has a lot of movement yeah and how to achieve that to look natural is very difficult. And it's very it's very easy to recognize a cloak that's not painted quite right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In terms of like highlight placement and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, it's weird because the detail is running vertically, whereas the sun rays are also running vertically. So it's like, how do I 
place my highlights and shadows when these two things are parallel. Um, but that's a story for a different time, yeah. I suppose. Well, and it's a, it's a, <laughs> we'll have a podcast topic about how to highlight and shade cloaks. <laughs> you just listen to us talk about it with no visual aids. <laughs> um, well, and it's, it's a, it's probably one of the most unique types of shapes in that it has 360 degrees. I mean, 360 degrees, but it, it has a full <laughs> surface where there's all sides of the surface you get no breathing room where it has to be a smooth transition on all four axes. Okay. And so, and then it continues again and then it continues again. And then there's a ruffle at the bottom that it continues again. And so you have this huge section outside of the two sides and the bottom edge of the cloak where so much of it is, is completely uninterrupted organic shapes. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And so you have of any particular shape, which is our, basically they're shaped like tubes, right? It's all tube shapes, yeah. inverted tubes and regular tube, inverted tube and regular tube, right? right? Right. Every angle of that tube has to be painted correctly or your eye catches it because they're all so next to each other. Yeah. It's like looking at a, it's like looking at a where's Waldo page, <laughs> right? Waldo sticks out to you. Boom. That's all you see is that one Waldo. And that Waldo is the messed up blend in the third scoopy scoop from the left. I saw it on your model. I saw it, it. Admittedly, I have never thought about it as much as you are thinking about it right now. Yeah. But yeah, that there is some truth to that. It's just a, it's a continuous moving shape. There are no hard stops to reset yep. and, yeah, it's tricky. And, and because even though it's an irregular pattern, there is a, a form of a pattern to it, right? It's like waves on the ocean. Every time it goes down, it, it's not going to go down again. It'll have to go back up. It goes down and up and down and up. And sometimes it'll go up and then go flat and then go down. But there's a pattern to it. Even if a regular one, when you have so many of those things right next to each other, your eye catches the imperfections because it's expecting it to be consistent across all all forms of the wave every level of depth of shadow every level of highlight they need to feel realistic to the to the subject as a whole in relation to the light source and in relation to the color and and material of the cloak this is too deep into cloaks yeah we're getting deep i'm like i'm like kind of like losing my mind right now yeah let's we we, we, we'll save this for the cloak the cloak episode oh yeah the cloak is so all right um i'm not sure what we were talking about we're talking about big models oh yeah big models yeah so and, and how cloaks cloaks are something that are even on a small model let's go back to cloaks here. we're back baby. let's go back to cloaks cloaks are something that even on a small model are a big surface a big topic and so whenever when you're talking about a cloak or like a uh what do you call it? a trench coat or a something like that cape I don't know, apron, you're, gonna have, you're painting your own Vinci V miniature with an apron. When you have that big, long, kind of single panel f- surface, it it's, can be the most difficult thing to get right. You just put a big tree behind it and then no one can tell. Yeah, that's the trick I did with this model. No, that was unintentional. Because I really did labor over this cloak, at least in 2017. I was going to give you this cloak and I was going to ask you to rate my cloak. <laughs> RateMyCloak.com. <laughs> Let's go. Everyone visit RateMyCloak.com and you can input your cloaks and uh, it will be rated on a scale of one to seven cloaks. This is my first competition entry in a real competition ever. Um, and it had a big cloak on it. And this was the model that made me, you know, think I can't hit this entire cloak in one stroke. I actually need to move my hand down. Yeah. And this is not even 75 mil scale. This is 54. 
Um, I love 54. I feel like it's a, it's kind of a sweet spot. It is a sweet spot to me. Uh, I want to talk about 54. This bow, by the way, on her back. Yeah. Safe for the safe, safe for the string. That's totally fucking ratchet. Um, it was all scratch built. That's a nice looking elven bow. Not too bad, eh? You got a lot of the the right uh, shapes. So is the quiver. The, the quiver is real too. And so is the bridge. So I'm a god. The, 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 bridge, the bridge I could tell you made you. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> Rape my cloak, dude. Anyways, um, I had something profound I wanted to say. Well, let's get some live rating from John here. Not enough contrast. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I would like, again, when we're talking about a bigger model, the expectation of what depth oh. of color should be. Yeah. Should be in there. Almost like almost like a hint of a, a purple or something in the shadows. Purple. Yeah. To and, and it wouldn't it wouldn't read to the eye as that's a purple shadow. It like but it would just add a depth to the color to make it feel more part of the real world. Yeah. There's so many little dangly dusties on this thing. I know, dude. It's an old model. Yeah. About fifty four millimeter scale though. A, f- yeah. a weird thing that I experienced when I took Ben Comet's face painting class at Adepticon. Actually, this year, we used a 54 millimeter scale model. And I was like, okay, it's going to be easier to paint the eyes. It is harder because on a wargaming miniature, they are often heroic scale, mm-hmm. which means that the proportions are exaggerated uh, for ease of painting, but also for ease of casting and for you know a variety of things. Yeah. And when you go up to the higher scales, um, they are no longer heroic scale. So on a GW figure, <laughs> the eyes are bigger. They're larger than what they would be in real life. Yeah. They actually look like a YouTube thumbnail of someone who's made sure. their eyes bigger with a liquify filter. Sure. On the 54, the eyes are smaller than a 32 mil heroic scale model. Yeah. Her eyes, uh, are, her eyes are like space marine size. They're tiny. Yeah. Um, so it's not easier to paint uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um now you're just looking at the entire model yeah now i'm just looking at her weird duck lips yeah um okay initial thoughts that i want a little bit more um a little bit more depth of color Mm -hmm. but i think the overall highlight placement and intensity is pretty good i like how you drew attention to the two big swoops on the bottom Mm, the swoopy swoops the two big swoops because those are a point of interest in the cloak Mm. and they're not as bright brightly highlighted as the peaks on her shoulders i would say maybe even the peaks on the shoulders could be a little bit brighter in their highlights yeah you're right they're not as bright as that but they're they're secondary to it which i like it creates more drama in the cloak as a whole drama drama uh baby's mama drama and then right here i would maybe push that up where there's the push together ruffles of the cloak by the hand maybe make that accentuate those Mm -hmm. little creases a little bit more yeah i i think it's pretty overall. I'll give it uh, 6.7. All right. I'll take it. 6.7. Failing that's, grade. That's good. What's the deal with grades not using the entirety of the 100% scale? You know what I mean? Like when... Uh, it's 6.7 is a 67. You can just... I know. I understand. <laughs> I, I get how decimals work. Okay. I just wasn't sure. At, what I'm saying is at school, we have 0 to 100 I mean, the ability to like rate a student from zero to a hundred. And then it's like, but we decide to use the last 30% of that scale. And then like anywhere zero to 60 is useless in terms of feedback. I think it's about, um, building confidence in a student. Like, look, look, you're failing. 
but you're still getting a 62%. What I'm saying is we need more letters. Okay. 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 F shouldn't be that fine, but then G should be 50, 50, 60. Okay. H should be 40 to 50. Cause like what happens in life is if I want to rate something. Yeah. You don't something just, something is either one out of five sure. or it's fucking 70%. You know, it's, it's never, there's, I don't know why I went from one out of five to a percentage. <laughs> But there's there's a no man's land between yeah. fucking zero and sixty that no one uses. Yeah, you're right. I rated a video, a movie one time, and I gave it like I don't know, I gave it a five out of ten. And someone was like, "Wow, Scott, you hated that movie." It's like I did not. That is the middle for me. That right. is where the bell graph is at the midpoint. That is average. Um, it's yeah. like grading on a curve, though, right? Isn't it, I mean, obviously not all grading is done on a curve, but if you grade on a curve. There will always be an A and there will always be an F. Right. Yeah. Um, but even in that situation, an, they fall. an F is still not a 0%. It's not like, well, this we're grading this test on a curve. It's worth 100 points. Right. The person that got the best grade gets 100 and the person that got the worst gets zero. That's, they don't give them zero. No. That's a good point because no one ever gets a 0% on a test. If you did, you fucked up hard. Um, like you were probably in the wrong class. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you got your name wrong, right? So it's almost like you should take a test and then a teacher should like review your performance and then give you a grade out of a hundred percent. And it's like, you got a 40%. That doesn't mean you got four to 10 answers, right? That just means that your answers and the quality of them, I've rated to be a four out of 10. That's, uh, that's, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible way to grade people. It's like the Simon Cowell approach to grading. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I believe you're fired. <laughs> that's, that's not Simon Cowell. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get back to big models. Can big we please? models. Let's talk about airbrushes. Let's let's talk about airbrushes. You want to kick us off? I want to. I want to kick us off as airbrushes are the. Excuse me. I got that backwards. Big models are the number one victims of bad airbrush jobs. <laughs> and in that, we say this model is big. It will suck to paint it all by brush. So I'm going to airbrush all the major volumes. And then what happens when you're done doing that, Scott? What does it look like? It looks like a bunch of airbrushed uh, shadows and highlights. Yes. It looks airbrushed. Yeah. Um, and then people go in and they paint some fiddly diddly doodly boodly <laughs> details. Which John words right there. Yeah. With, with their brush. And then they don't really touch or barely touch the stuff they did with an airbrush and you're like oh look his little armor plates i can tell you painted those with the brush yeah all of the skin that's all done with an airbrush and it looks like two different models because there's no consistency there yeah um airbrushing i think is a great tool for big models but and there are people that have systems that use a lot of airbrushing with big models that looks amazing that doesn't look airbrushed but spoiler they do a lot of work with the brush yeah. as well. Michael Pisarski is one that I think of. He has a he has a pretty important airbrush procedure, at least in the beginning of his paint job. Um, but you can't tell. It doesn't look like it. No, because it has a built up of opacity and depth and color. Yeah. Um, and there are sharp points and there are natural volumes highlighted and shadowed. I think of Trent Dennison as well. Yeah. Okay. You're talking about yeah that Where, particular kind of blending. Yeah, where they, he, I mean, he works in big scale models, like yeah. almost exclusively. And he does a ton of it with, with painting 
strong volumes with a brush. It's a big brush. It's right. a big model. Paints the strong volumes, then goes over with a filter with an airbrush yeah. over the whole surface. Can you describe that technique in 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 two in, minutes or less? No, it's <laughs> however long you want. But you can be used on smaller models. But I feel it like it, it's most valuable on a larger model. So let's describe that blending method. Yeah. So. And I apologize if I don't get it 100% right. So here's the gist of it is that he he takes a big section, maybe takes this is a skin of a fairy. He's got a video out there. Um, we can put a link to Trent Dennison's YouTube channel um, where he paints the skin of a fairy and he does it with some stark skin tones. Like one is almost white. One is like a mid-tone and one's like a crimson, like a dark burnt crimson. And he does not blend at all. He, he lays down like basically bold areas of color of where will the highlights where's the mid-tone where's the shadow okay mm -hmm. and it looks like garbage looks but like garbage yeah. looks like garbage a little bit of blending it's not like totally layers yeah 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 it's, it's a but it's all opaque colors that's the key here yes yeah, it's, it's, it's opaque and the lights are placed correctly right. that's the most important factor from the get-go your lights doesn't matter if the highlights exactly what you want the highlight to look like but the placement is key yeah. And the shadow placement is key. And then after he's done that step, he'll go back through with a thinned down version. Typically, it's of some variation of what his mid-tone was. And it's very thinned down in his airbrush. And he airbrushes gently that whole surface. And then what it's doing is it's... It, it, so you have a, a, a kind of a, a bar. In the middle of the bar is the mid-tone. On the right, far right side is his highlight, and the far left side is his shadow. And when he goes over it with that airbrush, he's pulling the bar closer together. Yes. So everything slowly becomes more uniformed in feeling like it it belongs, and it right. and it deals with those stark um, changes in color. Yes. And it blends it as well. And he repeats that process mm -hmm. six or seven or eight more times. He might change the color in the airbrush. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he'll, he might change the colors that he's actually putting on the next layer too. Maybe he does that same kind of almost white again because he, want, he wants to build back up to a brighter highlight. But maybe in the shadow, he'll add some purple now. Or in the mid-tone, he'll add a bit of, of glazes or something like that of greens. And then he'll come back in and do it again. And sometimes he will add a new filter when he goes back with the airbrush that won't be the skin tone color at all. Maybe he'll change it entirely, but it's so thin, it's again pulling those colors underneath together. And then it's adding in a new depth of color. Yeah. It honestly is almost the best of both worlds. You get the accuracy and the opacity of using an airbrush. Oftentimes, sorry, of using a brush. Oftentimes with an airbrush, you are often fighting to get opacity and smoothness at the same time uh, because you get speckling if you go too opaque, too fast with thick paint. Um, and then you get the, the, you get the benefit of the smoothness of transition with an airbrush. Um, it's a cool technique that I have not tried out yet. Uh, people try to lay claim to it like they invented it. Um, like Sergio Calvo has this whole thing called copy bases, uh, C-A-P-I mm -hmm. bases where copy is like... I thought it was Cappy. It could be Cappy. I don't know. I mean, probably like from Wisconsin. You know? <laughs> Cappy bases. Wisconsin. Hacky. Um, anyways, um, the first time I saw it was on a massive voodoo blog post from Rafael Apica where he painted the Son of Corn, mm. which is an, uh, a huge fucking model. Uh, he took a bust, which is like 116 scale, and then he just extended it to be an entire figure. He sculpted the rest of the model. <laughs> yeah. And the bust was the... He sculpted that too. Uh, it, was oh. like a, it was a casting of one of his models. 
Um, okay. Okay. Raphael. Raphael. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he, that was the first time I ever saw that. And it was like, okay, this is interesting. But I think in that example, he had very specific layers and then was targeting the transition between the two layers. And he was blending that area. Yep. Um, which is like kind of more of like a controlled way to do that, I suppose. Yep. But yeah. Interesting technique. Check it out for large scale models. Works also on uh, smaller ones. I saw... Um, I saw a Spanish painter doing it on a Stormcast Eternal. Uh, it works well if you have a, a model that is majority one color, a.k.a. Space Marines, a.k.a. Stormcast Storm Eternals. Storm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Or a large area of something. Yeah. But yeah. you, you when a model is small, you can really only get away with doing that technique for one aspect of it. Yeah. Trent can do it for like... 80 to 90% of the whole large model. That's cool. One, he's got stupid skills in control of his airbrush where he does some, a lot of times he doesn't even mask stuff off. Bro, I suck dick at yeah. controlling. Okay. Me too. I painted the silver and then I was like, I don't need to mask anything. I'll just do the gray. Do you see all that overspray that I have in that silver? Oh, baby. Yeah. I was like, okay. Part of it is like, I get so frustrated dealing with the airbrush and it's like clogging and bullshit issues yeah. that's just like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm just going to blast this thing and then fix it with a paintbrush later. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe part of it is just like having more I do patience. That too. I see and I notice something comes coming out incorrectly from the airbrush, but, and I actually decide to not give a shit. You know, the, the problem is, <laughs> is that the tool isn't consistent in its usage, right? Yeah. So if you're painting something big, it's not airbrushing the same way as it did in the beginning as it is at the end. Right. So it's like maybe at the beginning, pulling the trigger back 10% will actually yield something. Toward the end, you're just full throttle <laughs> ripping that trigger, dude. You're like, come out, come yeah, out. Like, please, you're like bursting it. So it like, it like clears the clog, yeah. you know? So it's just like, maybe that's a user error thing. And if it is, I'm totally happy to, like, I would love to solve this problem that I have for myself. Um, so yeah, comment below if I'm an idiot and I'm just using the airbrush wrong. I try, I tried to, and I was dealing with that as I'm sure many of us have. I, I, I'd, uh, lube it up with gun oil. Yeah. The tip of the, the needle right before, like I did this for my army in a weekend video. Cause nice. I'm like, I was so scared of that exact thing happening Yeah, when I have to do 70 models yeah, dude. for each thing. And I'm like, Oh fuck. So I'd lubed up the, like the last two inches of the needle. Yeah pretty well so i'm like i'm just trying to kind of keep everything away from this needle for as long as possible and it it works it extends it and you until you've pulled off all the lube through the shooting right the, yeah yeah and then, it, then you're still screwed you just hope you're done with your work by that point it honestly seems like it's a battle an airbrush can't win right so yeah. you have this neat you have this needle you have this tiny asshole and you just pull it out slightly so there's like a little bit of a ring around the needle and it's just like acrylic paint dries so fast it's like this is never gonna work it's like it's such a tiny area and so easy to clog yeah it's it it creates the a kind of a a pinch whenever you close the 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 nozzle the airbrush needle then rests against something yeah and that creates this little pinch where that acrylic paint will immediately start to dry yeah Okay, and then every time you go, psh, 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 you're closing it again and closing it again and closing it again, and so that same spot keeps getting a new, slightly larger layer yeah. of dried paint. And time is against you. Yeah, you know this is just this is a physics problem that doesn't have a 
a solution that ends in our favor. <laughs> Maybe it comes down to just using the right paints. Like uh, I know I've heard people say Tamiya paints airbrush really well. And I wonder what would happen if you stuck to Tamiya paints as an airbrush that have a lot they're not normal paint. Uh, they have like a lot of additives in them. They smell kind of funky. They're technically acrylic paint. It paints. says acrylic paint, but there's stuff in it. They don't smell like acrylic paint. Yeah. Oh, um, I've t- I accidentally put one of those uh, Tamiya Clear Red in my mouth once. In my oh, brush. Yeah. yeah, I tasted like cancer. Oh, God. It is cancer. Yeah, so I probably have cancer. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, about airbrushes. Let's say you want to paint a large figure and you're like, Scott and John, I can't afford an airbrush. Fear not. I have a solution for you. <laughs> I would say Gundams, big mech style things, things that have big flat surfaces. I would generally not. I would not paint that with a paintbrush. Okay. Trying to blend on something that is big and flat with a paintbrush is really hard because there's nowhere to hide. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I would say if you're going to paint a Gundam, if you're going to paint a, a, a Night Titan, I would say. Well, this Night Titan doesn't have so many big flat. Look, you fucking kidding me? Look at this thing, dude. Look at this. Look at the hole of this thing, dude. Can you imagine having a blend that was brightest on the top and darkest right there, from there to there? That's like an inch and a half with a with a paintbrush. Yeah, you could do it. It take forever. I would probably do it with oil paints, quite frankly. Okay, honestly, yeah, that's a good point. But just you know, acrylic paints without a airbrush, you could do it, but. It would be rough. I would probably go with a GW Edge highlight style. Exactly. So yeah. that, that's the other thing. You don't need to blend. Yeah. Uh, it could just be you base coated an edge highlight and reset shade and that's it. Yeah. Anyways, display figures, however, um, that have more organic shapes that are larger scale, like 75 millimeter, that I would tackle with a paintbrush. No problem. I can paint an entire display figure without an airbrush. No problem at all because there are areas to hide, quote unquote. Um, there aren't as often big flat surfaces that are, uh, that you can't, like, that would be really like a big struggle to, uh, to blend on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you want to play bigger figures, you know, got an airbrush, go for more of a display model. Um, I think that's going to be easier for you. Yeah. Um, you know, my, you saw my big dragon, right? My creature caster dragon. Yes. I didn't use an airbrush on that. There you go. The entire dragon. And it's fucking huge. And not, not because I was first try- coat. Not, not because I was trying to flex because I, but just because I thought I wanted from the very beginning to establish some contrast to be in control too. Yeah. To yeah. be in control of that from the get go. And um, especially in a big model, the more layers of paint that you put on that all include some scale of contrast to them, the more dynamicism dynamics drama sure drama the more drama you add to the piece and i was just like it's so organic everything is movie and fiddly and scaly and everything it's like i'm gonna have more problems trying to get the right angle of my hand with the airbrush and stuff so i get underneath the scales Mm. to make sure it's not just like primer underneath there i'm just like i'm just gonna use a giant ass brush and get paint on there and slap a line of of light blue slap a line of dark um like indigo and then blend them in the middle yeah do that over everything and it's freaking fun too because it's like this is just the beginning if i look at it in the same way i look at is like airbrushing on my my base coat if i look at the same way well that that doesn't make or break me Mm -hmm. anyway so why am i caring about this yeah and so but instead at the end of this i've got more drama and i've got a a better starting point to understand where i want to go from here so you don't have to use an airbrush on a big model no um but obviously it's harder to use 
if I was thinking, if I was a better painter, I probably would have um, probably instilled or tried out some of the stuff that Deno does yeah. where I do that. Yeah. And then I'd come back and add more filters. Yeah. I just ended up spending 150 hours on a project <laughs> that Deno could probably paint that same dragon to that same level or higher in 15. And I did 150 <laughs> because I just did everything manually that he speeds up through his process. Yeah. I mean, the other problem with an airbrush, if you're not a confident airbrusher and I'm not, is that the surface that you create is unreplicatable, right? That's very, very true. So it's like if you make a, a bougie-ass blend and then you fuck it up <laughs> by like getting a different paint on it, say like, I'm like painting like the silver rails on this thing and I get some silver on there. It's like, <laughs> how do I fix this? <laughs> you don't. You can't fix it. You make some battle damage yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's battle damage. So... Yeah, airbrushes are helpful for large models, but oftentimes they are more trouble than they are worth unless you are like have the mindset of, okay, this is gonna this is a new tool. It's got new problems I got to figure out. I'm gonna struggle. If you go into it with that that idea, then I think you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um I wanna I wanna go back. Do you want more you wanna talk about airbrush? Or can we can No, we yeah, I'm close that I have one thing I talk about the last and that's sub assemblies. Um, but that's it. Okay. I, I got one or two more things too. Um, I want you to talk about sub-assemblies because that will lead into what I want to talk about. Yeah. Okay. So th- we discussed earlier the problem of large figures is that they are large and that trying to hold onto a model that is big um, with, you know, a, a miniature handle and like the weight of it, um, the problem becomes logistically more complicated the bigger the figure is. So a solution people often turn to is sub-assemblies, which obviously is not unique to large scale figures but i will say that i very often paint in more sub assemblies when painting a large scale figure than i do in a, as, as a smaller scale mm-hmm. and that is so the handles that i use uh, can be still used for instance this little cobalt keep painting handle can be used if i just have a single weapon of this night titan attached to it as opposed to the entire fucking thing um so uh you don't really have an option in this one because everything's magnetized. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what I want to say is normally I am not a fan at all of sub assemblies. They slow you down a ton. Um, but for large scale figures where oftentimes you're trying to get a better result in the first place, um, sub assemblies are very much so a thing. And I want to talk about a specific style that I did on that model um, that made it easier to do. Okay. So, can I guess how many sub-assemblies she was? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so obviously the quiver. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> um, and the bow. The bow, obvi- sure. the, the bow was obviously placed on at the end. Yeah. Um, I would say probably her head yep. is a sub-assembly. Yep. And like the arm and the helmet. Yep. And that's it. No, the cloak was its own piece. Why, dude? Uh, so that I could paint the back of the model because I don't know. I was a young painter and people it are, be, it would be very, cause you can see some of that like bright butt cheek and stuff. Yeah. And How so, would you get in there and do that with, yeah. Yeah. So I just kept it off. I think if I was just painting for myself, I wouldn't have done that. I actually did start this model with the cape on and I was like, this is fucking impossible. And then mm-hmm. took it off. What, what I would probably do if it was me is I would, the first thing I would paint would be the body at least to like 80, 90%. And I do the back to where I, that's good for the back. And then I'd put it on. So yeah. then it could be, I, I think 
no matter what the scale of the model is, the more you can have together, the more you're helping yourself to make sure it's a cohesive looking piece. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I would never have known that looking at this, that they were separate, which is a good thing. You want them to feel like cohesive. And right. It does. Um, but it's also, to me, it's like a pain in the ass. The more it's a pain sub, in the ass. Sub pieces I got to pick up and paint and everything. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass that I'm okay with when I'm trying to paint a display model. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was particularly hard because the pieces this come in, uh, this arm is attached to the section of this cloak. Then there's a mm-hmm. cut and then the rest of the cloak is its own bit. Um, there's so a, there's a cut in the cloak itself. Yeah. I had, so they didn't line up perfectly cause this is a pewter model and pewter models have oh. struggles sometimes. So I did some sculpting to hide it. I, I wouldn't have known. Not let me look. Let me see. If I can find your, yeah, jan- try, to, your try to find it, find your janky ass line. But there's two ways it. to do this. <laughs> ways to do sub assemblies uh, and that is either you do the gap filling uh before you paint the model or you do the gap filling after you paint the model so you got part a part b you paint them separately you put them together there's a little gap that you want to fill you do that gap filling while both a and b are painted that's a little scary just because um you might get some shit on a finished model and that's kind of spooky mm-hmm. okay I guess there is a different option. You could paint part A and then assemble unpainted part B to part A and then do the gap filling. And then it's half as scary because at least one part isn't painted. You could do that if, assemb- if, if, if assembling the model wouldn't make part B harder to paint. Um, anyways, the other way you can do it, and that's the way I did it on this one, it is you can gap fill it first, take it apart, and then paint it. And the question should be, how do you do that? It's a pain in the ass, but it's, it's yeah. a way you can try. So here's what I did. I Vaseline the shit out of this lady's uh, arm here, her, her left arm, the, both the shoulder and the arm piece. I, I installed a pin so that the location was always the same. Mm-hmm. I put it together and then I sculpted Milliput in there. Um, how I wanted it to look. And then the Vaseline, or I think petroleum jelly, it's called in England, allowed me to then take the part piece apart. And I was like, okay, don't touch that, let it dry. And now I have perfectly fitting pieces where the pin saves the location perfectly for me. I can paint it in sub-assemblies, and then when it's done painted, I put it together, and it is the crispiest fit in the world. But it's a pain in the fucking ass to do. Uh, it is. But it's an option. It is. It's not something you ever do unless you're oh God, no. unless you're doing a piece for competition. Yeah, and even then, some people prefer to do the method where they paint the two things separately, put it together, make a little bit of a mess, and then just fix the paint job. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of like the more that I I've done that method that you talked about before, yeah. and afterwards I'm like, fuck, I should have just made the mess and cleaned it up afterwards. Yeah, because I I've done that that f- number B where you try to do that i had to do that with wings because i i did the milliput thing whenever this is for my dragon wings yeah yeah. i did it had it nice and crispy whatever painted everything separate you know at the end we put all the pieces together i put on the dragon's wings and somehow at some point some little part of that nice perfectly little sculpted thin line of milliput had hit something and it cracked oh no and there's this one little section that is gone and i don't know where it went or whatever and it's you know it's a competition piece i can't just have that little crack line there with underneath i just see black primer so then i did have to go back in 
and put more redo it anyways redo it anyways try to make the blends fit or whatever and honestly that wasn't as it wasn't as hard as in my brain it seemed like it was gonna be yeah it really wasn't so especially on a large model a really small spot that you're purposely not making a point of attention anyway um you're trying to just let that look natural not draw your attention in a negative way yeah that's true so that's fine i'm just scared like milliput when you like start to thin it down with water it just fucking gets everywhere dude oh gosh so i'm just terrified of that but yeah you just gotta be clever about it i suppose yep all right that's all i had to say all right i wanted to talk about in relation to this um the actual painting process um for a large model and how you hold it and this is something that i was super worried about for a while until i did it and it's it's different than the sub assemblies but let's say i have this knight titan here i've been playing with him right he's not in sub assemblies he's all put together maybe his arms i can still pull off whatever but the vast majority of this knight titan is like you know like this big he's big yeah it's a big boy on his on the base how do i paint that do I get like a giant ass pill bottle and like stick the thing on there and do that? The answer is no. You just hold the model. Yeah. You hold the model. And people are worried about the paint coming off because you're touching the model. Wear a glove. Does that actually help? It, it, it absolutely helps. Okay. I, I held my big ass dragon. I held it the entire time I painted that thing. And I was super close like watching very closely, watching the actual paint, checking my glove, always looking to see if there was smudges or it felt dull or whatever. Never saw anything the whole time. Okay. If I had a bare hand, absolutely I would have because the oil, it's the oil is that the pull oil. it off. It's the abrasion. Well, don't, all right. The, the, one of the keys is, is don't hold it by something you've painted in the last 30 minutes. Don't hold it by something you've painted. What do you mean? If I paint, this whole leg. Oh, right. Don't hold it by that leg for Abs- 30 more minutes. Right. After 30 minutes. Look at his little thing. He's moving. After, thir- <laughs> after 30 minutes, I can hold it by that leg and I'm fine. Right. Unless it was oils. Then you don't, don't hold it for two days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but it, it's, you are at, you're putting it yourself at such a disadvantage of being able to have a consistent, steady hand in reach where you want to reach if you were to put a full night Titan on this thing, say he's on his base and you stuck the base on there and you hold it like this, holding that and trying to get up here and do that, like it's impossible. I mean, you'll paint it, but it'll look like butts because you can't, you don't have any fine motor skill control. Yeah. So it's okay to like support the baby, <laughs> support the baby, and then you can still use your your connection points on your fingers or your wrists on the table and whatever. Yeah, do one of those classic pinky to pinky moves. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're talking about like a fifty four mil lady or even a seventy two mil barbarian. You could still have that on a pill bottle or a mini holder or whatever, and you're probably fine. Yeah. Um. But on those scales, even I find my hand creeping up. Yeah, it does. If I need to get up to his shoulders and head, don't be afraid to like, like caress their waist, and then create your your points of contact your and get and get get close and tight onto that face work. That's why they keep the that's why they keep the head separate, right? Because like otherwise, sure. then you're kind of like just molesting the model. Yeah, if yeah. it's on its own thing, then you don't need to do that. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, uh, but uh, another thing I've seen people do is they'll actually. Um, 
wrap a section that they're going to touch. Let's say they're going to work with this with mm-hmm. the legs again. Yeah. They'll wrap that in saran wrap. Yep. And then you can hold it there. And then the saran wrap from an abrasion standpoint, the saran wrap is still the only thing touching. There's a slight amount of different pressure of yeah. when your fingers move on and off a section of saran wrap. Yeah. But as long as it's not wet and there's no moisture, there's no stickiness or anything to the saran wrap, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't affect anything. Yeah. I'll often so. do that when I'm freehanding because um, I die definitely molest the model while I'm mm. freehanding. So I'll just wrap it on saran wrap except for that small window that I'm freehanding some ludicrously tiny thing on a space marine shoulder pad and I'll just keep that one window open to kind of just like grip it like a baseball and just like mm. and then get, get, get really good stability. Yes. You want to have the tightest of grips just just before the amount. <laughs> Maybe not tightest of grips. Before you snap the resin entirely. <laughs> you're just like crushing the model while you're freehanding it. The veins bulging in your wrist because you're just destroying this model slowly. <laughs> All right. You got anything else about large minis? They're more expensive. They're more expensive. People thought the Duchess was a small figure. And they're like, why are you charging 50 bucks for it? And I'm like, that's industry price for a 75 model. And they're like, oh, okay. It's big. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just, I think that they're, a, it's a slightly different animal, but a lot of things translate well. Sure. Yeah. If you've not painted a large mini before. I'd say do it just because it's a it's a fun experiment. Oh my gosh, yes, do it. There, I mean, like, how are you ever going to figure it out unless you try at least once? Right, right. Or if you're like, oh, what if I just I've never painted a bigger model as part of the game I'm playing? Well, you could do that if you wanted to like paint a rhino. That painting a rhino is a lot like painting a bigger model, other than if it's it's, it's not a bigger person. You could paint a giant. I don't know. Those, yeah, those are coming out. We're going to talk about that too. Giants. You could paint uh, uh, Alariel the Ever Queen. She's a larger scale. She's weird. She is like they added a fifty-four mil yeah human into a game of thirty-two mil scale. The uh, Eidolon uh, from the Eidoneth Deepkin range. He yeah. is a lar- He's like the same scale as Alariel. Maybe even a little bit bigger. Catacross. Catacross is the same. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, you, I mean the Gash is like a seventy-five scale figure i know i don't get that where it's like i'm an anatomical person skeleton that looks basically like a human skeleton i'm just massive in size like what did i look like alive was he just always a big person he's a big boy was he a giant yeah was he a titan was he a, a cyclops I mean, if you look at previous uh, sculpts of Nagash, the answer to that question is no. Yeah, he's like he a was normal smaller. boy. Yeah, um, that old metal one, derpy as hell. I don't know. I think in in the lore of Age of Sigmar, the more powerful you get, just the physically larger you become, <laughs> <laughs> and the physically more expensive the kid is to <laughs> yeah, buy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. You have anything else you want to say? No, I think I think we did a good job of talking about big models. All right, out of the newsy news, John kindly filled this out for us. The first item in our newsy news is GW starting to watch competitive discussions regularly. And you've linked here something called MetaWatch. MetaWatch is the name of this series of articles. Oh, it's an article on the Warhammer community site. Okay. Yeah, so um, this recently came out on the Warhammer community site that they're going to have this. You know, this is the first time that GW has ever really liked tried to show an active like connectivity to competitive versions of their games. Not that they just like don't acknowledge its existence, but they just haven't really 
ever dip their toe into that area they just like what well, our games are more about fun and lore and and, an, and really a storytelling battle and stuff even though we all know that a large percentage of people play the game with match play rules with points and structure and all that kind of stuff and so it's kind of interesting that they're they're kind of taking a next step of of having active engagement in it i think it's a good thing yeah I think it's kind of lame that it's articles. I think articles are good, but they talk about having guests on there um, that are like real competitive players and they're tournament winners and that kind of stuff. They're going to have guests all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather like to hear them in an audio or see them in a video format of that kind of thing? Maybe they'll have, they'll, they'll put in a little bit of production value and they'll have a five minute video of them talking about something in addition to the article that would be great um as well but this isn't happening uh, from what i saw it's not happening all that often they're gonna alternate every other um publication will go 40k age of sigmar 40k age of sigmar they're not this isn't attached to any particular game it's just those two okay and there's only going to be an article every other week so you get one Age of Sigmar article a month and one 40k a month, and maybe that's enough. But if they're ta- if it's called Meta Watch, that means to me that they're making some kind of observational comments and understanding from a competitive standpoint what the meta looks like, yeah, and what's happening in competitive meta scene. Sure, and maybe once a month is enough. I don't know, but I think it's great because it's a start. It's something. It's not entirely led by this huge community of players um, and content creators that really focus solely on that. Um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Um, I recently had a friend over who was uh, really into 40K. Um, and since the release of Primary Space Marines has felt a little disenfranchised from 40K, but he still watches the meta and uh, told me how the win rates of various uh, armies are totally out of whack. And so generally when you're balancing a game, anything over a 55% win rate is a serious problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so there is a helpful tool online that category or collects the win rates of various armies in 40 K. And so I went and took a look at it. Cause he said something ludicrous, like space Marines are winning like 80% of their games or certain chapters like salamanders, for instance. Sure. And I was like, oh, that's bullshit. I can't believe that. And so I looked it up, and while it's not 80%, it's something in the 65% range. And I'm like, holy fuck. That is, if 55 is a big deal to, like, typical games. It is. That is a huge margin of, like, something that's overpowered. Right. Um, Because you you have to factor in that in in any army's percentage... You have a wide array of skill levels of the player yeah. that are playing that. Yeah. It's probably even wider for an army like Space Marines oh, because sure. people that are a lot of beginners or casual players st- will still play Space Marines. Not that they don't play other armies as well. So whenever you look at that 65 or you're looking at 55 or 50, you take that number and take into consideration all the players that are offsetting all the new players or the players that aren't playing super competitively that offset that number. So you add 20 to 30% to the win rate of those players because they have to, they have to even it out. Right. And so if the baseline is 65, there are people playing that army and it's not entirely that rare that basically never lose. 
because yeah. the rules have set them up as their skill plus rules. You just can't beat that army. Right. I guess it depends where you're getting your data. Obviously, if, if those percentages are only coming from ITC events or something like that, then maybe it's not as intense as what you're saying because obviously... Not I, 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 com- I, completely, I completely disagree with that in the games of Warhammer. Okay. We've been to some of the biggest Warhammer tournaments. Adepticon has the, like the biggest, some of the biggest Warhammer tournaments in the world. And I will tell you, and Vince will tell you, and Tom will tell you, 80% of those people that go to the biggest events are not hyper-competitive players. Okay. For Age of Sigmar? Both. For both. Like, okay. the, the numbers are probably a little bit more skewed in probably 10% more of that in 40K, but it's it's just not the way the game is kind of founded, and those people still exist, obviously. And we yeah. all, we don't want to... The reason why there's so much interest around um meta and competitive and how good is your army is because people don't want the feel bad of investing all the money it takes to play this game to play a shit army and so they don't want it to be bad but to actually go to the extent to get really good in i mean that requires hours and hours and hours a week of playtime at the table to get your reps in and most people just don't have that or aren't willing to commit to that or can't commit to that mm-hmm. Um, so this game isn't that way. I mean, if it, those numbers are, are probably pretty consistent, I would say across the board. Um, and that's why, you know, I'll say from my opinion, but I, I don't, I'm certainly not alone at this since age of Sigmar has dialed in its game rules. It is head and shoulders above 40 K in being a balanced game. Even when it, when a, when an army is broken in age of Sigmar, it gets rectified fairly quick. And when it does, everyone is kind of pulled towards the fat middle again. In 40K, what happens is there's two or three major outliers. And they sit out there, and they sit out there, and they change shit around. And now those are back in. Now there's two more fuckers that have shot way out there. <laughs> so it's just it's always a carousel of who's way the fuck out there. And in addition, equally or worse, there's all this group that are way on the other side that don't just are completely incapable of having a fair fight most of the time right the rules don't accept it i i think with the new edition of 40k that they're probably going to be pulling that in because what they're doing is they're copying a lot of stuff from age of sigmar and implementing it into a more shooting based game basically is what they've done um and so i'm, I'm hoping that it it gets closer but as you said we've already seen they've already made a bunch of major faqs in the new edition of 40k that have completely changed things thrown things on their head and then once again whoop, there's a new person way out there at that 65 percent win rate so yeah so anyway that was a long uh fucking meta discussion on meta watch check it out on the warhammer community page all right let's talk about sobs i'm getting a phone call everyone else getting these bazillion those of us oh, in america getting bazillion gosh. phone calls and texts uh let me just say and i'm probably gonna get shit for this um i voted uh, in our presidential uh, campaign. I'm not going to talk about who I voted for, but I have never voted before. You never voted before? Well, I'm glad you did it now. I am, am an apathetic piece of shit, and a president has never changed my well-being ever. Hmm. No matter who's in office, they're like a silent person, I, but until now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided, you know, now's the time. That's good. There's, there's no reason to shame you for your past because you have made a decision now that I think most folks will say is a good decision. Whatever you voted for, that you was active in the future of your country. Mm. Or that we tell yourself that our vote matters. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, I got my mail-in ballot at home. Yep. I'm all ready to fill out that multiple choice test and see if I pass. <laughs> um, I think none of us are passing. <laughs> Anyways, that's enough political that, talk. That fly in Mike Pence's head passed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that got more press than the whatever they talked about. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about some SOBs. Okay. Let's all do right. it. All right. And I don't mean sisters of battle. You mean sons of bitches. Sons of bitches. Sons of behemoth. Oh, God. That's what you want to talk about? Sons of Bahamut. All right. So, you, can, you can talk for a bit. I'll just sit here and listen. We can listen to some doggo barky barks. Oh, my um, gosh. So, as of the day that this podcast will be released, uh, Sons of Bahamut had just came out two days ago. Um, from when we're recording this, the pre-release is just, a, or the pre-order is just about to start. Not all the rules have been released right now. So, the next uh, 48 hours for me are going to be big, whether decide I decide to play this army or not. <laughs> <laughs> me and Vince have been having some some in-depth Facebook discussions. Y'all, if you like the fucking models, just buy them and enjoy painting them. Who cares what the stat line is? You know how much they cost? Bro, do you know? Okay. The, I know you got hobby money. <laughs> I got hobby money, but I don't, it doesn't mean that I'm going to you know, just throw it out the window. <laughs> I spent like another $150 on paints this week, yeah, so I shouldn't I talk. Oh, God. Because I did that, uh, my, my favorite paints video... Yeah, and oh, everyone telling you their favorite paints. Yeah, which was awesome. Actually, it was it was really cool to see people in the in the comments of there talking about their favorite paints and be like, yes, I tried that. I agree. I like that color. Or I have not tried that. I actually made a, a list, uh, mostly Reaper colors that people like. So maybe if I get time today before I leave, I'll stop at the source and get a couple of Reaper paints. There's a really cool purples that someone was talking. A couple people were talking about Rosy Flush. Did that come up at all? No, and Reaper. It was like a midnight purple, I think, or something like that. Okay. It was a great shade, shade color. And I don't have a good, like a glaze in shade purple. Yeah. So. Yeah. Reaper does that weird triad thing. And people really like the pink flesh tone triad that they have. Ro- rosy flesh being the mid tone. Anyways, Sons of Bahamut. Sons of Bahamut. Oh, Bahamut. Oh, so the paint that I did buy was like, oh, right. I bought a couple of sets of the scale, scale color artist range, the ones in tubes. Okay. Because I've heard some really good things. And then I talked to Vince about it because Vince owns every paint ever created. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, the this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one, this one, and this one are all really good. I use them. So I'm like, add to cart, add to cart, add to cart. <laughs> I bought those through Michigan Toy Soldier. Hey. Shout out to Michigan Toy Soldier. They got in contact with me saying, hey, thanks for the shout out. Uh, do you want a care package? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> haven't got it yet but yeah i'm looking forward to working with them it's always nice to work with people that you just genuinely like yeah they they have such a wide breadth of products available oh my gosh on their site it's freaking phenomenal a lot of stuff that for us in america is really hard to get otherwise without paying out the ass and shipping costs or just finding a place that's true like scale 75 paints for instance yeah all, all the the mig I bought, some, I bought some MIG stuff. I yeah. bought some AK Interactive stuff. Yeah. As long as I was adding stuff to cart, I'm like, hey, I don't have Wait, AK me. Interactive? What are you, anti-Semitic? Oh, Jesus. God. Oh, Jesus. I first went to MIG stuff, and I bought the things I wanted there, but it was a couple of things. I'm just giving you a hard time. All right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's a, it's a legitimate it's a legitimate thing. But I'm not, I'm not pro. All right. So, Sons of Bahamut. So, one of those models of the Mega Gargants is $195. Whoa! Yeah. That is the same amount of money I spent on my entire Legion of Blood army. Yep. Because I bought it most of the second hand. One model. Wow. 
Do you know how much? How is it like a foot tall? Mm, is it I like think it's eleven inches? Okay, so ten no. to between ten and eleven. I don't know math, but that's not a foot. No, that is not a foot. Holy buckets! Archeon yeah. is bigger. Okay, he's but he's really big. Yeah, but he's, he's actually foot, he's if you were to take off the wings, the mega gargants are bigger. But you know, okay. wings, it's right, like right, right, you yeah, know, yeah. wings are always weird. But Archeon is massive, and Archeon is like one hundred and sixty-five dollars. Yeah, what's going on here? Do you get and, like a bazillion bits? like different stuff to assemble i assume um well you can make any of the three mega gargants out of the kit so there will be extra bits it's four sprues for the big size sprues in the box yeah but that's still a buttload of freaking money and then they re-released the baby giants in a box of two for 120 dollars and those used to be 45 dollars a piece right before they they took them off their site for sale they discontinued the old ones for 45 bucks a piece and then re-released them as a box of two for 120 oh no exact same model oh really exact same model box of two sons of bitches and in order to the minimum battle line is three babies babies are the only battle line and you can only buy them in boxes of two This is bullshit. I don't give a fuck because okay. I hate giants. They're dumb. If they rules make for what if sounds they like a rules fun, make for if they rules make for fun <laughs> and moderately competitive, I will play them because I've got some cool ideas on on kit bashing and making mine unique. Yeah, but um, it's a big release, and and not only do I want to talk about it as a release, but this also kind of coincides with a lot of fallback of how far behind schedule games workshop is right now they're pretty far behind schedule because of all the covid stuff this launch was supposed to happen like six months ago yeah they're so far behind on 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 stuff and now with the warhammer 40k ninth edition stuff pushing that making that a priority has pushed age of sigma stuff even further back we could have had vampires by now instead we don't it might not be vampires. What if you're here just talking ish about about this army and it comes out and it's not vampires? It's just badass mofo vampires. Then I win. No, no. Then I sit. Get, I and everyone else gets to say, "No, Scott, you don't get to play them because you were talking bullshit this whole time." Bullshit. I was talking bullshit. bullshit about vampires. So if it's not vampires, why would I get to? Why would I get to buy it? Well, I, I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. <laughs> All right. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's talk about Door Guard. You talk. I'll talk about Door Guard. It's the thing, it's the little wedge that you put uh, outside of the door so you can keep the door open so the door doesn't close. And it is a... What? You got a Door Guard right there? Okay. Cult of Paint announced a new Kickstarter uh, called Door Guard, and it is a coming out October 23rd Kickstarter looks like Diograd um, G-R deodorant guard oh it is no it is guard you're right you're right sorry I just was dyslexic for a little bit <laughs> it's, it's a it's a difficult font we're not gonna open it I just wanted to show you the packaging it's very premium <laughs> it is primo packaging so it's a Kickstarter of are they 5472 mil models 72 they are a mixture of scales and busts oh wow okay jeez I think the majority of them are probably 72 and i think one is 90 i think then there's a bust whoa i'm not sure they're they're elves 
from like a ver- question mark question mark elves from a variety of ancestries is what i'll describe them yeah andy is a big fan of elves mm-hmm. uh and so he made a bunch of elves yeah so there's like eastern elves that look like a not easter elves not, not to be mistaken with easter elves but eastern elves like a samurai elf and mm-hmm. looks like a japanese archer elf with a japanese longbow that are those things that are like eight feet tall yeah yeah and then they can shoot them from a mile and a half and take yeah. out your single eyeball yeah um and there is a swamp looking like berserker elf there is a there's some other ones that's cool. I like it. There's a lot. like a nasty, evil wizard kind of necromancer elf. They, the, I haven't seen the pictures of all of them yet of what their actual 3D sculpts look like, but I've seen the uh, concept art, and the concept art got me real excited. <laughs> yeah. So we want to share that as news, as something to maybe keep an eye out for of some cool new sculpts that are coming out. Uh, should we keep moving here? We got one more on here. Yep. I just learned about this last night. Um, hot take breaking news um that gunmeister games and creature caster moving forward to collaborate on the game known as judgment Mm. into judgment 2.0 yes and so there had been whispers for a while and hinting for a while that the creature caster models were going to eventually be for a game and that there was actual factions like like the obviously not Nurgle faction, the obviously not Slanesh faction, not Slanesh, obviously yeah. not Zinch faction, yeah. obviously not a corn faction, demons, that they were all going to be for some game at some point. Now the cat's out of the bag. Judgment is a game that is from a smaller company, Gunmeister Games, that as a lot, the people that play it really like it and they're trying to grow it. And so they're coming out with 2.0 and there's going to be a lot of changes to this game. One of the major ones to me that I learned about was they're changing the scale of the of the game. Hmm. So they're changing it down from, I think it was forty mil or forty five mil. It was some odd scale. It was fifty four. Fifty. I don't. I didn't think they were quite. Maybe it was fifty four. They're changing it down to I believe thirty two mil. <laughs> so all of their existing range. They are going to re-release. Oh, no. And Creature Caster. And all of their existing customers are just like, well, fuck. (laughs) I I don't know if they have some kind of way to make it still work. Okay, yeah. And because the game is moving from, uh, you know, measurement to grid, to hex grid. Yeah. And so maybe because of that, the larger scale, older one, it won't matter as much. What do you prefer, grid or, uh, or like measuring with gauges and stuff? Oh, that's a good question. I th- I like the feel of all the options that measurement gives. Yeah, same. But in reality, if done right, especially if the grid is large enough, I think that having a hex grid map is simply cleaner and more, more open to... transparent strategy of what the game allows for you to do and not do where i don't like a grid is in a game like shade spire underworlds because the grid is so small it restricts the actual amount of strategy involved in Mm -hmm. movement because there's just so few move options but i like the simplicity of like i could go here and yes there's a lot of options because there's a lot of grids but the the wave is a lot different than like well if i kind of scoot around his side base i measured out nine inches but it's like there's a lot of little nuance there that can be 
manipulated whether you're trying to or not yeah black and white with in this square not in this square it just seems like a cleaner system yeah i suppose another downside of having a grid is you can't really like make a custom map to play on it unless you can make a really nice custom grid that is like you know dead on you can only play on mats that are supplied by the company or or mats made by other companies but you'd never be able to play on anything that has like kind of cool verticality you know what i mean Oh, well, they talked about terrain in the game, too, of how they're going to do stuff. It sounds similar to Underworlds, where it's terrain that is X number of hexes, where the hex, those pieces can go on top and making the game vertical, kind of like Warcry can do. Right. Um, but but I can't what you can do, table. what you can do is you can, and we've done this for D&D before, is they make these basically clear acrylic plastic things that have the grid on it in their see-through but with just the black lines of the grid and you put it down on whatever's underneath you can I, see the underneath that's sick but if your terrain is irregular at all that thing is fucked yeah you'd have to use a mat i mean yeah but then you put the train on top of the thing like who i mean how, how do you go on top of the terrain then the train sits on top of the hex what if it's like a bridge and so, i want to go on top of the bridge you know you want verticality you want train you can actually go on top of like a hill yeah. Oh, so you you have to you'd have to like in the sculpting or in the painting you'd have to right <coughs> and show like, the hex exactly and it's like that's like hard and awkward to do and like how do you know if it's actually straight and stuff like that so it's a good point you it, you have to do a little complicated at the very least yeah you'd have to plan all that in it's an extra layer of complexity yeah um, and then uh, creature caster showed off the first new model that they're going to have for the range eventually all of creature casters range will be brought into this game and playable in this game yeah nice um which is why they had to mess with the scale because creature caster models are of a certain scale so you can't have 54 millimeter human next to big ass dragon when that dragon then next to that human scale is so much smaller than he was intended to be yeah so i get that um so anyway that's a kind of big news, a big collaboration. At first, I didn't know if they, they... I watched the live Twitch stream of this announcement last night, and they put the Judgment logo with the Creature Craster Squid Face logo. They, like, combined them. Ooh. And I was like, are they merging as a company? As, as Creature Caster purchased the gunmeister games as what's going on here? And it wasn't exactly clear, and I wasn't entirely paying attention. So... <laughs> I asked um, Emma, who is uh, one of the marketing people at CreatureCaster, to get me a press release so I could know all the details. And that is now out there. You guys can find that on CreatureCaster and Judgment's websites to see the full details of what they've announced. But I wanted to make sure for talking today, I didn't say, CreatureCaster bought Judgment, and right. that's not true. Well, look at you doing your job. I know, and she responded right away, and Peter got back, and Peter sent me the, he's like, here you go, John. And I was like, God damn it, Peter, you're such a nice guy. Nice, dude. So that's a big thing. I've heard nothing but really good things about the game. I haven't tried it. A lot of people that have played it. I haven't heard anyone that's played it and that hasn't liked it. So. I think on paper, it's the kind of game that I want to exist in miniature painting. Yeah. and um, But not if it's 32 mil. I don't, I don't know exactly. I'll have to read the thing. I okay. forgot. I forgot all of it. But I think it is. But a lot of the I mean, stuff you, is you larger. Part of your job. I did some of my job. <laughs> they not, they, the first like preview model that they showed is an undead minotaur. And it looks pretty badass. So. That sounds like a model on paper that you would like. That I would like, yeah. yeah. An yeah. undead Minotaur. Minotaur. All right, welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you for all joining us in this journey. Hopefully you liked the messy desk 
and the hobby shit that we are in right now. Uh, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, there are a number of ways to do that, namely buying one of these sexy sweaters. It's getting colder outside, at least in our neck of the woods, so sweater season is around the corner. Why don't you support your favorite podcast while doing it at the Woo! same time, baby? Sexy logo. Um, or you can uh, support us on Patreon where you get access to an extended episode of the podcast that includes the after party, Woo! which is a three-part thing. One, you get access to us giving feedback to one of the sprues and spruettes, so you can submit your models for us to give feedback to. Two, we talk about things that we tried in the last two weeks, new things we experimented with, failed, and had success with. And then third, we talk about one of our favorite models that we discovered from someone else in the last two weeks. It equates to maybe like 30 minutes of extra content, 20 yeah. to 30 minutes, somewhere in there, or even longer, depending on the day. Um or if you, you don't got the money, you can just watch this podcast with ads enabled. Yeah. Um, you can watch our channel with certain ad blockers, or you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. All things are appreciated. Whether you're giving us money or not giving us money, we appreciate the interaction in the comments section and all that wonderful stuff. John, do you have any last words for this broods and spruettes? One last. Someone said they didn't like that, that phrase, broods and spruettes. And I hate them for that. Yeah, that's a terrible that's a terrible idea. <laughs> All right. One final thing for those of you that have been out there on the Facebook page and on Instagram and using the hashtag true whip. Thank you for doing that. We are getting the true whip nation growing with every passing day. I got tagged like a million photos on Instagram. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. beautiful. I have a true whip that I'm going to throw up here one of these days soon too. <laughs> that I want to throw it up. I'm just going to barf it all over your faces. And uh, I think we want to keep that growing because we all go through the ass phase of a model and we need to understand that we need to go through that first to get to a final product. So let's share that with everyone so yeah. they understand that it will turn out better at the end and that's all i had to say about that until next time when we catch you on the flippity flop